Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski kicking off, I guess, a new season. I've never actually, Chema, I've never actually charted the seasons like some other podcasts do. Like, I never really yeah. bothered. It's just either on or off. And, like, I, and like we make note that, like, all right, we're on summer break now, so, like, we won't be doing stuff. But I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't chart the seasons. Yeah, like, if I've ever considered it a season, I always just, like, it would be the 2019 or 2020 season of podcasting, but I guess, like, if we're getting technical about it, um, this would be, like, the start, like, fall TV, this would be the start of the fall podcasting season, I guess. Like the fall, I know, fall, or, <laughs> we, we got through May sweeps, and now right. we're, uh, we're, we're back for the for the fall uh, podcast <laughs> season, which is, it's very appropriate, because I think, depending on how long this pandemic uh, continues to crush Hollywood. Uh, we might be reduced to just watching podcasts on our TV because that we're hitting we're hitting a wall of nothing. Like come November. Oh, I know, man. Believe me, like some of the stuff that I've I've started reading more. Let me put it to you that way. Like I've resulted to reading more, and because uh, number one, I I can get sucked into TV so easily. And believe me, there have been times where I start a show, and I haven't started that many, but I've started a couple. And, like, I just get locked into it, and all of a sudden I lose, like, three days to uh, the Umbrella Academy or, um, or like, whatever. I'm, I'm watching Night yeah. Flyers right now. So, like, I got I'm about a day or so uh, into Night Flyers. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, it's cool that I just experienced this show in such a short time, but I also feel like I kind of lost a couple of days. So I've been reading more, and if Adam Chimaluski is resulting to reading more, that easily means that we're going to be watching podcasts on TV in a couple of months. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> It's it's gonna be like the only it's gonna be the only like easily produced form of entertainment um, because like I've, I've it was funny because like I, I actually have been I've been curiously watching some soap operas because a okay. few of them are like producing new like brand new episodes and yeah. you'll see more often than not scenes that have less than three people you'll see uh-huh. a lot of uh, scenes that are just phone conversations um, a lot of a lot of uh, a scene, when when scenes do have multiple people in it, it helps when like someone's handcuffed or something, so like they can't move out of a certain area or they're in a jail cell yeah. or whatever. Like people well, are kind of they've discovered sort of artificial ways to help keep some space and to help keep because clearly like you, you and I both know like on any on any TV show, especially especially a daily TV show um, like a soap opera, there's a ton of people that would be there otherwise, um, and production mm-hmm. and acting and everything else. So they've kind of figured out a way to probably artificially... They probably have these people do all their scenes in one day, and that's it. You're done for the week. Um, but they've figured out a way to sort of keep the cast... And I'm going to go ahead and assume the crew is extremely minimal, too. Because um, they have to be... They have to by, like, California state laws. Um, so, like, it's just... It's really interesting to see how already... It's already affecting not just, like, the schedule, but, like, it's affecting the quality of what we're seeing on TV, too. Oh, yeah, dude. And everything that you just said about um, being spaced apart, limited characters and scenes, even designated somebody in a certain, certain part of the room, these are things that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. And I'm very happy that they're on soaps first, so that way people get tired of the easy stuff and people have to be a little bit more creative as far as how they're going to like plan a scene and shoot it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I will say, like knowing that the soap operas have kind of figured it out, it does give me a little bit of hope. But that's a very, very, very little bit of hope because we could easily fall into. Well, we're not even out of the first wave yet, so I mean, we could <laughs> right. easily be due for another flare-up, um, an immediate tumble right into the second wave. This whole thing is like so crazy, unpredictable that I've I've heard that they're 
you basically like go see newer movies in certain theaters and stuff like that. I'm waiting for them to pull the plug. I, I, I just know that at some point in time, it's going to get in there like right away and they're going to pull the plug on that immediately. I got I to gotta schedule like a day, a morning out of the gym um, to go see Tenet at like 10 o'clock in the morning when no one's there yeah. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can sit wherever the hell I want as far away from people as I want, you know, put my mask on, sit in a corner and watch Tenet because I am like worried that that'll be like one of the things that like that AMC and Cinemark and et cetera, et cetera, close down again. Yeah. And I'm, I'll be so jealous that if you get, to, if you even get to go into the theater, like and sit down and even see the previews, I'll be jealous, man, because we, for any type of like movie related entertainment that would be newer Jess and I have to drive down to like Orange County or one of yeah. the more laxed counties in California, uh-huh. which is which is not saying much when I'm saying laxed. And also like Orange County fucking sucks, so I really don't want to go down to Orange County if I don't have to go down there. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm telling you, like it is like I said it before, it's the complete opposite of, of life here in LA County. And like, yeah, they got breweries and dispensaries and all that, but Orange County is seriously the Florida of Los Angeles. So it's <laughs> it's a place I don't really like going to if I don't have to. No, I got you. I got you. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I, I'm I've I've noticed that um, I sent you a uh, I sent you and Cherry that uh, on Instagram that message from uh, Gareth Evans that his his TV show is going to be picked up here in the United States, and mm-hmm. I believe that was in October. D- dude, get ready for the onslaught of English and Irish TV and Canadian yeah. TV coming our way because that's all we're going to have to watch like come November December. Oh, I know, man. Like, the way that Netflix and all that, they're going to go on a shopping spree with these British television shows. We could easily be seeing British TV from the 90s that we think is new because Netflix just bought it. Right. Exactly. So it's it's going to be an interesting an interesting uh, look at it, look at entertainment in the next that might that might have to be an episode at some point in time, just sort of like recapping how the uh, you know what, what what our entertainment landscape looks like when you can't put ten people in a room and film them. Um, oh, okay. so yeah, exactly. be interesting. I, I'm all for that episode. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but this episode is not that, and uh, this episode, our, our return seat, well, let's call this, uh, I don't know, been, oh, gosh, I've been doing this podcast on and off for like five years, so I'll just like call it season six, um, whatever, <laughs> that's, that's what we're going to call it for now. So, so to start off season six, um, we're going to open up, we're going to expand our five good minutes idea, uh, and we're going to call this episode five good topics. Um, we're going to, we have five topics each, um, same, basically the same format as five good minutes. Um, we're going to go through, spend five minutes or so talking about whatever it is that, the, that, that we've been thinking about over the, over our extended summer break. It's actually a longer summer break than usual, but we also produce more episodes than we normally would because we had nothing to do. Um, so we took like a slightly longer summer break, which means there's a lot of stuff happened. There's just like a lot of stuff that, that's on our minds. Uh, so we're going to take that same, same format, but with a few different twists here. Um, first and foremost, we're going to have a couple of quick hitter topics. They're just going to be one minute topics. Just a quick, hey, this is you know this is something I noticed. What do you think about this? And then we're going to we're going to move through it, and then obviously we're going to have, so we're going to have two of those, and then obviously we're going to have the three regular five good minute topics. Um, but I, I I threw out another twist just because it'd be kind of fun. Um, we're going to guess. We're going to try to guess what the topics are, more or less, and we're going to and we're going to guess by we're going to we're going to provide each other with hints with I guess one hint. Um, by naming our topic after a song title. So as we go through, we're just going to, like, we're going to start this off here in a minute. I'm just going to throw out my five topics by song title. And uh, Chum is going to throw out his five, and then we'll pick back and forth. And we'll take a guess 
to see like what it is that we're what it is that we're talking about in relation to the song title. It'll make much more sense when I just get through it. So, uh, so Chema, do you wanna do you wanna start us off here with this uh, this five good topics episode? Throw me out your five topics by song title. Okay, the five topics by song title are as follows. That's Amore. It's a song by Dean Martin. Yep. Then it's On the Other Side, which is a song by The Strokes. Algorithm, like an Algo, R-A-R-H-Y-T-H-M by Childish Gambino. That's on track two off the new album. Mm -hmm. Then it is The Diamond Sea by Sonic Youth. And... Taking Care of Business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Oh, there you go. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Um, I like that. Um, let's, I probably should have been writing those down um, as we did these. But uh, anyway, I like that. It, oh, it's I'll, just, I'll say it again for you really quick. Really quick. Yeah, hold on. Let's, um, you know what? Just wanna, you just want to send it to me in a message? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet, dude. No problem. I will uh, do that Go for right that. Now. I'll, I'll, I'll throw Give mine out. I'll throw mine out for you here while you're doing that. Um, so I like those, I like those five picks. My, my five topics by song title are Electric Avenue, uh, by Eddie Grant, classic eighties reggae song. Um, I've seen footage, uh, Death Grips off of, I believe it's off the Money Store album. Um, let's see here. Oop, gotta scroll to the right spot. Classic song here, Once in a Lifetime, Talking Heads. Nice. Uh, Interstellar Overdrive by Pink Floyd. Nice. And lastly, gonna wrap it up with a, a, a classic, classic song here that we've all sang drunk before. Feels like the first time, little foreigner. <laughs> oh, very, very, very nice. I can't wait till we get to uh, that one. All right, Chema, I, I'll tell you what. I'll have, I'll have you go. Ahead, I'll have you start off. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you go with. Boy, I gotta, get, I gotta know what you do with algorithm here. Okay. Okay. This one, man, I gotta tell you, this is this is actually the most obscurest topic on All the right. um, on the list here. Is this a is this and a full is this a full five minute topic or is it a quick hitter? This is a short one. This okay. is one of the shorter ones. Yeah, you bet. So, um, algorithm, it is definitely an algorithm that I'm going to be talking about, and this is just something that I had noticed during the the time that we've been gone, and actually I noticed it a little bit before when we when I was fortunate enough to go to the gym here in Southern California. And that is, like, you know when you're listening to Spotify and, like, when you get done listening to an album, it'll just kind of keep playing songs kind of similar to, like, what you've just heard, you know, kind yeah. of you know, mm-hmm. based on this artist type thing. Mm-hmm. And then also on the Spotify homepage, there is a, hey, because you listen to this band section, and it gives you, like, more stuff to, to recommend for you and everything. Death Grips have one of the best Spotify algorithms I have ever seen in my entire life. And the best thing about this is a majority of the stuff sounds absolutely nothing like Death Grips. Correct. Really not, a lot, not a lot of people do. Like Death Grips is, I am very comfortable throwing the avant-garde label on Death Grips. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else that sounded like Death Grips before Death Grips. And I, there definitely have been copycats like this band called Horror and Kanye West made Yeezus, which is quintessentially a mm-hmm. mainstream Death Grips, Grips mm-hmm. album. But their Spotify algorithm is nuts. And you'll get, like, Run the Jewels, and you'll get, like, Freddie Gibbs, and you'll get, like, some rap stuff flying yeah. this season. But when they do not give you rap, which is a lot of the time, the stuff that they throw out there is absolutely genius. And in the last, like, God, like, the last two months or so, 
I have jumped on the hype train of these three bands, like really, really hardcore. And one of them is called um, Have a Nice Life. Never heard of them. I never heard of them. I, if you haven't heard of them, then I definitely haven't heard of them. Yeah. There, there's another band called uh, Sweet Trip, who is also fantastic. Sounds nothing like Death Grips, but plays on after a Death Grips album every single time. Hmm. Like nine times out of ten, dude. First five songs, guaranteed. Uh, there's also this group called, which this is the farthest left-hand turn, is this band called The Microphones. This is like an acoustic rock band, and for some reason, they are in the Death Grip Spotify algorithm. I would have never found out about it if it wasn't for, wasn't for this algorithm. And this is all really, really, really good stuff. So with this quick one-hitter, just to wrap it up, is that Death Grip Spotify algorithm is awesome. If you listen to a Death Grips album, let it play out for about 10 minutes. You'll find some new shit. I guarantee that you'll, that you'll find intriguing, for sure. Yeah, there's um, basically the more eclectic the album or more eclectic the band, the more just the, like the algorithm has trouble streamlining it. Like if, yeah. you and I, like, if, like, like if you let like the new Run the Jewels album play through, you'll get a lot of their collaborators. You'll get a lot of 2 Chains. You'll get... Um, who else? Some of their other frequent collaborators. You get uh, Zach De La Roca. Uh, yeah. You'll get a lot of that Pharrell. like over and over again, right? And you'll get a lot of that over and over again. But like, um, have you ever heard of the band? Or, I don't even know what the hell. That, I don't know if they're rappers or band uh, clipping. I have never heard of that actually. Um, they're boy. I don't know what it, they they remind me in many ways of Death Grips, um, actually. Um, but like they have this one like. I think this the one like song that stands out is like called like Body and Blood, and okay. it's like it's a really like extremely graphic song actually, but like their like their like radio station based off of them gives you a lot of interesting stuff because they're just okay. so they're so strange. Same with like I think the next closest thing I'd say like to this Death Grips because I've experienced this before with Death Grips. Um, the next the next closest thing you can kind of do to the same thing would be like a Denzel Curry radio station. Yeah, would be the closest yeah. thing you get to it. That's right. Yeah, he would. He kind of immediately comes to my mind as to what could be, I guess, a similar thing to Death Grips. But it is, dude, it's so hard because they are just such a unique, such a unique project. You yeah, know? absolutely. And I got to ask you about this because this band keeps coming up in the um, in the algorithm, and I can't decide what I feel about this. But where are you on the 100 Gex kind of? I don't even. Do you know who they are? I like don't this, even know who they are. No. Uh, okay, so it's this kind of like it kind of sounds like one of these like soundcloud kind of things like it's very very noisy and kind mm-hmm. of like like high-pitched rapping they have a couple songs that are actually good and i was like oh this band 100 decks okay maybe this will be something that i listen to but then i see what they look like and i saw one of their videos and i'm like oh man is this just like white stupid soundcloud rap and it kind <laughs> of has that vibe so if you are listening to death grips and a hundred decks comes up you'll probably hear a pretty good song but i will definitely give you a little bit of a warning that uh hundred decks or a thousand decks whatever the hell they're called can easily just be like this year's i don't even know like this year's aqua or something like that just yeah something gotcha that comes and goes. gotcha i gotcha i'll have to check you out like basically like when an album or a playlist or whatever runs out if you know whatever picks up a lot of the times they're not even paying attention necessarily to like who's Mm-hmm. who's doing the song so right right there there's sometimes like when i'm working out like i just kind of let it play through but if i'm sitting around at my desk or whatever like I, like i could actually stop and look at the phone like who is this and then like all of a sudden like i just get hooked dude it's mm-hmm. like sometimes like new music is like a pack of cigarettes for me man I'm just gonna get <laughs> i like it i like it <laughs> all right so let me uh let me get one for you here so i'm um 
Okay, let's keep on the Death Grips train, and let's go with the I've seen footage. All right, all right. I've seen footage by Death Grips. This is, Chaba, this just comes from my yearning for some, like, old-school movie effects. Um, okay. And I, it's, and it's, I say, I'll, I'll use it, like, movie, but, like, entertainment, like, TV and movie. I see it in TVs, TV shows a lot more now, where, like, instead of using practical effects like squibs and blood packets... We have like the we have the the computerized like bolt wounds and stuff in action and action movies and action TV shows. Um, it, it's I, you know we have like we have like poorly um, poorly um, uh, superimposed digital images to look like people when they're like running and jumping and doing stuff. Like I miss the days where we were just like you know what this stunt double looks good enough in a wig. That's that's so and so stunt double. <laughs> Um, I miss the days, like, when someone got shot full of bullets, like, they just had, like, ten squibs on them. And, like, they mm-hmm. went off. And it, it, it looks, one, it looks significantly better than than the, like, than the superimposed bullet holes with, like, blood in them. That, like, the blood looks too dark. It looks too strange. It's never, the like, the bullet impact site is never exactly where it should be when someone's falling. Um, mm-hmm. I just miss, I miss the magic, the, like, the literal skill in magic that you had to like produce when you made some of these older action movies or movies with not even necessarily action movies but movies with bigger set pieces moving moving set pieces and things i really miss that sort of like being immersed in being being able to immerse in like the effects of the movie as opposed to like visually trying to scan out where the digital effects kind of are meeting in a very poor way with the practical effects dude I understand what you're saying here for sure. And like, I'll tell you, like CGI, it has its time and place for everything. Sure. You know, I, I will tell you in defense of the day I died at Pacific Rim, if that was guys dressed up in kaiju costumes, it would not be the same. Oh, it would be you know terrible. It would be terrible. <laughs> but I agree with what you're saying here. And they're really, at least like in my opinion, there is just no need to like CGI bullet wounds and stuff like that, especially because they've proven for years and years and years that squibs and everything just work. And I, it has to come down to economics. Like that yeah, squibs to have be, to cost a lot know? of money. They, they have to. And like, I can only imagine, like, you know, if you get the scene wrong, like having to re-squib up and all that kind of stuff. So I know that they're doing it for economics, but, like, I just wish that sometimes people would spend more money where it counts and, like, less money on... Like, I will gladly trade a super elaborate crazy as shit driving fight scene for just something that looks really really fucking dope you know what i'm saying you can create you can create drama in any way shape or form between people you don't need all the big crazy stuff but it's this generation or just this audiences these modern audiences that just kind of crave these larger than life movies and everything and i just kind of feel that i don't know man i think I, i personally am over I guess I just would prefer a little bit more practicality. And if you can hook me in on something minimal, then then you've done a great job. You yeah, know what like, I'm saying? Like, absolutely. There's like I, one of the one of the biggest, and I should have, probably should have mentioned this in my original rant here. One of the biggest like things that like I really hate is when on on like a, especially like on these like network on these like network procedurals, you'll have like a big explosion or something, and the explosion is obviously not a real explosion. It's all CGI. It looks terrible. Um, it, it like I would rather you for your climactic ending like an I don't know like an episode of like Magnum PI or something um, because for some reason I don't know why we brought that back but um, but 
you know, like instead of blowing up a car on like one of the Hawaii the highways, how about you give me a good shootout that looks good instead of a really shitty CGI explosion that looks terrible? Yeah, you know, TV is really TV's, real TV's the main culprit of this. Yeah, they they big time are, and it almost kind of feels like, okay, guys, we we got this budget, all right, we have all this money, we're going to make a TV show. Now, if I set aside like. $50,000, I can get, like, an explosion, you know? And I'm not going to spend the extra money to get a really, really cool explosion because we're going to spend that on other things. And in the meantime, you have, like, you have, like, really intense, like, shooting scenes. You have really intense action scenes that are shot well and everything, and then they're just, I guess, like a cherry on top with this big, fake explosion type thing. And you know when you're looking at it. Like, the fire looks way off it doesn't look defined it almost kind of looks like orange streaks yep. coming across the camera yep and it kind of devalues all of the work and all the efforts that the actors and the directors and everybody just put into all the stuff that took place before the explosion when it ends with this like corny as shit explosion exactly i mean fuck wreck a car give me a good yeah. car wreck that'd be fine it doesn't do explode just make it like tumble a bunch of times and like have shit flying off of it you could do yeah, that but yeah, buy two fifty thousand dollar cars and ram them into each other. Right. And, like, don't spend a hundred thousand dollars on like a block ass explosion. Right. And dude, like, there have been times where, um, if you like, granted, I am very, very far removed from um, network dramas and everything, but I know that they still make these higher budget things, like a Grimm and some of these things that involve a lot of CGI. And I remember this show called V that was on ABC, like basically the aliens show up and it's all about the aliens. And yeah, it, it, it was a remake of a 70s show. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Marina Barricade was the, like, the lead alien yep. and stuff. Yep. And now when you're watching it, like, even for back then, like, they were still, like, like second or third tier, like CGI, if we're talking quality CGI at the time. And it is just like one of these kind of things where it looks so bad and like so fake that why TV even goes out of their way to like do this stuff. You know, like I, at that point in time, I felt that we didn't need an aliens invading show. I was cool with lost and everything else that was on TV at the time, but ABC is like, yeah, we need to make this high budget thing. And in the end, they didn't really, execute some of the visuals as best they could. I thought the acting and everything was great, but some of the visuals were just, it was right. just like not, not, not happening. So there you go. There you go, Hollywood. I know you're listening. Just get back to some, especially for like TV shows, get back to some more practical effects. Like I don't, I don't need to see fake buildings blow up. Yeah. And believe me, you guys, they might not even be able to uh, blow buildings up for a while here in Los Angeles. That's a good so point. That's money, a good point. Put the money where it counts. If, you know what? It would be, it would be vastly different if like, if we knew, like, if it was a TV show that we know was costing, you know, on the budget, like, on the on the, on the the order of, like, a big budget action movie, then I would say, mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with all this money. But right. you and I both know that TV shows do not get that kind of budget normally, so. No. And Game of Thrones, like, at least right now, is, like, a very, very special exception where I think that they those people knew that they had to do that stuff right because if those dragons looked horrible, like, they would, it would just... It would, tank yes. the, it would not tank the show, but it would make the show a lesser product than what it is. Yes, was. exactly. Exactly. All right, so there you go. Um, I believe it is my pick, Chema. So I'm going to have you go with... I'm going to have you go with uh, Dean Martin's that, That's Amore. Okay, awesome. This one, I told you about. This is another one of my shorter ones. Okay. Finally, finally, after two years, Jess and I found a bomb pizza place here in Los Angeles. And nice. And not just like... 
not just like a hey, this is this is good, but this actually would dethrone. Like if I took the time to make like a top fifteen pizza places I've ever had, and mo- I give honestly like fourteen of the fifteen will probably be in Ohio. This would dethrone a top ten Ohio Ooh. pizza place. Like okay. it is just that good. It's called Prime Pizza. There are two look or sorry, three locations in Los Angeles. There's one um, in Burbank by NBC. There's another one in Little Tokyo. And then Jess and I went to the one that is over um, in West Hollywood on Fairfax. And it's actually, uh, this this piece of place is about 500 feet or so down the road from Tyler, the creator's golf shop, where they sell all this like odd future merchandise and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's also um, right across the street from Cantor's Deli, which is like a very famous L.A. Uh, LA deli. It's got some kind of Guns N' Roses connection. because When you go into the deli, they are hawking this book about Guns N' Roses that the owner wrote. So there's something with G&R and Cantor's Deli. Oh. <laughs> so, um, so this prime pizza place, it's on Fairfax, um, the one that Jess and I went to. And my God, it's a good dude. It is just like, Everything that I could have asked for as far as, like, a pizza place, and I, I guess, like, what I'm saying here is that the one, I guess, pizza place that L.A. didn't really have nothing similar to is, like, Rascal House. Like, I, for some reason, I am a sucker for the Rascal House. I've always loved it's, Rascal House pizza. It's totally, you know what, it's a totally, it's a totally fine local chain. Like, it, yeah. it's totally fine. Yeah. Like, I not, not my favorite, but, like, if someone got it while we're out, probably pretty drunk, that's totally yeah. fine. Oh yeah, dude, definitely. Like Rascal House is on my list. Like it would be a probably like a six or seven, something like that. I just I've always liked it. I've been eating it since I was a kid. I had it at CSU a whole bunch because that was like our only thing to eat when I was there at school. Mm. So it's kind of it's kind of on like a level or like a similar comparison to, to Rascal House and taste and everything like that. But this guy, the guy who owns it is a student named Frank Pinello, who um. You may have seen before if you watch a lot of Vice videos like I do, because he was the host of the Vice Pizza Show, which is exactly what it sounds like. A guy goes around and eats pizza and Vice is about I, it. I actually but, think um, I, I actually think I've seen it before. I just the name sounds yeah. vaguely familiar. I probably, I probably would have to see it. Like I I probably wouldn't recognize him necessarily, but the name sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, if you, the the big episode of the Pizza Show that I always remember is when he does the Philly Taco, which is taking a big slice of pizza and putting a Philly cheesesteak like right in the middle, folding the Oof. pizza over it and eating it. That's that's like what they call the Philly Taco, I guess. And that's Oof. the episode that always sticks with my mind. Sounds like a total gut buster, but oh, in yeah. a way, if you're drunk, it could easily be delicious. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, Oh, without a doubt. So um, he has got a restaurant called Best Pizza in Brooklyn, and he um, he took his pizza place, you know, across country to LA and started Prime Pizza out here. And I'm just so happy that we found this place. It is like so good to know that there's at least a pizza place around us that is truly just something worth driving a half an hour for. You know, and this I would drive half an hour for this pizza. I drive 45 minutes for it. It is absolutely fantastic. So anybody who ever comes to Southern California, it's Prime Pizza. And if you're ever in New York City, it's called Best Pizza. Totally try it out. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's. I know we've. I know we've talked about it before off air. If I ever move like totally away from Cleveland, if I ever move to Columbus or Pittsburgh or something, that would be like that would be amongst my like top priorities in terms of like neighborhood like food places. It'd be like I gotta find like a bar that I can go to to watch football and stuff that I like. Um, and then I have to find a pizza place. Like those are absolute necessities when you move someplace new. Yeah, and dude, we there is pizza around us that is good. You know, it's good, but it's just not this good. And like, 
now it's just so important to have that. And that's like a seminal anchor in one's life is having a very, very decent go-to pizza place. And for, for me, like, you know, being in Northeast Ohio for a majority of my life, like I've been very fortunate that there's been like a Farinacci's around no matter yep. what. There's been a, uh, I even like Giannino's sometimes, like Giannino's around, um, mm-hmm. even like uh, Angelo's and like Citizen Pie, which is my now like top place in Cleveland to go. Like we just, I've just been very fortunate and LA, like I keep on hearing this stuff about there's no good pizza. There's no good pizza. And while there's definitely some truth to that statement, um, when I originally found out about prime pizza, I was watching this show called Bong Appetit. It's like they cook stuff with weed on a Hulu. Go figure. It's another play show that made it to Hulu. <laughs> and this guy, this guy, Frank was on the, um, on Bong Appetit. And he was saying that like right now, LA is prime for like a major pizza renaissance or a pizza revolution, whatever you want to call it. And if this guy says that, I'll take his word for it for now because this guy clearly knows. I've had his food. He knows what he's talking about. So I'm hoping that more really good pizza places start to pop up in LA. I, I'm like I'm imagining like a whole street full of like Italian pizza chefs marching yeah. for the pizza revolution. Like oh, they're, yeah. like they're big paddles that say like like cheese lives matter or something. Yeah, I could just see them doing like. Pizza revolution, yeah, that's exactly what I'm picturing right now. So excuse me, but yeah, it's it. I think it. I do think it is interesting that as as diverse as LA's in general food scene obviously is, that there still isn't something that just like overtakes it. That like there still isn't there still isn't like a pizza place that's overtaken or something. Yeah, I know that there is no like. I would have thought that at least. There's like I would have thought that there would be a general consensus there, that there's at least one be all end all pizza place in LA. Right. But if you talk, no matter who you talk to, everybody says they, they have a different favorite pizza. Everybody's got a different favorite taco, different favorite Chinese food. It's just like there's no general agreement on what is really like a, a good pizza, and that's probably why we haven't had a sports team here for a couple of years. So is it? Could, would you would you chalk it up to that you have? I mean, obviously, there's plenty of native. Los Angelinos and Southern Californians, but we chalk it up to also like a lot of transient people. I would, I would chalk it up to that. That that definitely plays like a part of it. And I think, I, I just think that people like, because they're so transient, it's, um, everybody just kind of maybe like sticks or flocks to that pizza place that maybe makes them feel like home as I've done with prime pizza and the rascal house. Yeah. So, that, that definitely plays a part into it. And the other thing, too, is that, and I would just throw this out as my own like uh, personal theory, is that there's so much like diversity of food when it comes to like Asian food and, and Mexican food and everything out here that that's, that's really what's popular. And like when, you, when I talk about Asian food, like it's not just like going to um, like the Dragon Garden or like Chinatown in Cleveland, where you're basically looking at different versions of the same menu over and over again. Like everybody's got general sows, everybody's got sweet and sour uh, pork or chicken. These places out here, like you can go to a Chinese restaurant and they don't even know what general sows is, like, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's um, there's a lot of diversity in in the Asian food um, market out here, and also with like the Mexican food. Like not everything is tacos, so. I think that people are like a little bit more drawn to, and even like transient people would be more drawn to that. It's just like a, Hey, this is what's supposed to be good here in LA. Like they're, they're not necessarily yeah. thinking pizza when they think Los Angeles. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense though. All right. Yeah. Tell me you're, uh, you're up there, man. 
Okay, so I am really interested to hear what the interstellar overdrive thing is, and after you get done, I just I gotta tell you something about this particular song. And okay. Stuff. So, well, Go for it. Uh, this can I can I start off with um with another Death Grips reference here? I would love another Death Grips reference. <laughs> this is the opening riff to uh, "Want It." Yeah, off of X Military. Yes, it is. Yep. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is Interstellar right. Overdrive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Definitely. Okay. Um, no which, shit. Which, which is X, I could listen to X Military all day. I can't believe it's not back on Spotify. I was like, listen to it on YouTube if I want to listen to it. But anyway, Inter- Interstellar Overdrive by Pink Floyd. I don't remember which album it's off of. It's on um, the Piper of the Gates of Dawn, thank- which is their first album. Thank you, thank you. Um, so this is about the rebirth, or if you want to call it a revolution, you can call it a revolution, of hard science fiction and entertainment. Um, and it, uh, this, is, this is so perfect. This oddly probably begins and might potentially end with Dune. But uh, and this is this is one of my longer topics too, so we'll we'll get into this one pretty pretty deeply. But every so often you have a, a sci-fi movie or show or something that breaks through that is that is like hard sci-fi. And like what I mean hard sci-fi is that like you're talking at the basis of the story are the science concepts or the science fiction concepts, and then the story is made around that. Um, I've heard people say stuff like they like sci-fi movies, like, and they'll name off, like, a Marvel movie. And I'm like, well, yeah. okay, yeah, but, like, it's it's a it's a fantasy movie first, it's a comic book movie, it's an action movie, it's all these things, and then it's a sci-fi movie. Like, it's, that's, like, tenth on the list, basically. Um, so, like, but, but, like, a hard sci-fi movie, you know, like I said, every, every so often we have something breakthrough, and it's kind of, like, the hard sci-fi of that decade. So, like, Go back to the 60s, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey is your mm-hmm. hard sci-fi movie that, that well, defined a lot of sci-fi movies and TV shows. Um, you get to the 70s and 80s, um, Alien, Blade Runner. Those are the ones that sort of come to define a, a visual style. And, you know, Alien was, our, was really one of our first sci-fi, one of our first big-time blockbuster sci-fi horror movies. Um and then you get to the '90s. You have stuff like the, stuff like Twelve Monkeys, and of course, uh, The Matrix begins in 1999. Um, so, like these things pop up every now and then that are that are rooted in stuff you know, like The Matrix, like the idea of a, of a vast computer simulation. Uh, Twelve Monkeys, time travel, time travel, and and, and pandemics. Uh, Blade Runner, you have like a, a dystopian future. Um, you know, just it was so so stylized that it again informed like what future would look like on TV and movies for the next season. Well, until now, um, it's still doing it. So you have these things like this that they, they pop through and they poke through. Um, but, but, but it, I think that the hard sci-fi concepts kind of get lost. And the matrix is probably a really good example because the matrix, the first matrix movie is not like the subsequent matrix movies, even though you get, you still get sort of the, the computer jargon and the idea of of uh, you know of this like vast simulation controlling human beings, um, they left it. They left a lot of those interesting ideas behind in the first movie, and decided to blow everything up in this in the subsequent two movies. Um, the subsequent two movies are to me just action movies, and they're totally fine. But they're not getting at the same idea that the original Matrix was getting at. Um, and more recently, we've had a lot of. I, I think TV has been the gateway for more of this hard hard sci fi recently. Um, thinking about like the Expanse. Battlestar Galactica, the more recent uh, spate of, of Star Trek shows, uh, one that you mentioned I still haven't seen yet, uh, Devs, 
um, Westworld, uh, Man in the High Castle, uh, a show that I'm watching now called Raised by Wolves. And then there's some other movies too more recently, like Snowpiercer, Inception, Arrival. It's kind of, there's, there seems to be sort of like a building wave um, that is, that is, I don't know, what I, what I want to say like the last 10 years, it's probably more like the last 20 years. A building wave of like more general ex- acceptance, especially general acceptance for like what these very like hard kind of, um, I would say like, I don't want to say higher brow, but like, like the, like a show like The Expanse doesn't treat you like an idiot. Like you need to watch it and understand it. And it expects that you will watch and understand exactly what they're talking about. Um, and, you'll, and you'll get the parallels between, you know, colonial powers and cold wars and race relations and stuff. You'll, you'll get that from the show because they're laying it out there for you. Um, and it seems like there's been a more general acceptance for these kind of TV shows and these kind of movies. And I, I have a feeling that the success or failure of Dune, which comes out, I believe, in December... Which is Dune is the holy grail of these sort of hard, high-end, high-thought, high-brow sci-fi uh, movies. Um, it was a book, I think, I think from 1965. Uh, 50-65? Yeah. Frank Herbert wrote it in 1965. It is like, it has set the standard for what high-brow sci-fi and hard sci-fi looks like since then. Mm-hmm. And if Denis Villeneuve, at the very least, this is going to be a great-looking movie. That's for fucking sure. Um, Teddy Villeneuve doesn't make bad looking movies. Um, but if Dune is a, is a success and they get, not that you have to go like buy the book cause it, that'd be very difficult, but if they get the spirit of the book, right. And they get the ca- spirit of the characters, right. I feel like Dune could completely blast open the doorways for, a, for a real legitimate tidal wave of rebooted, adapted, and like even original hard sci-fi ideas for the coming decade. Dude, I hope so. I really do. Um, I'm going to start off with Dune. Yeah. The trailer for that looked absolutely fucking incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and I, I'll be honest with you, and you can, man, you could say whatever you want about me, but I can barely make it through the original. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's something about the first ten minutes of the movie and the woman talking and stuff that just like drives me nuts. And like, I've tried drunkenly. I own Dune. I own it on Blu-ray. I tried drunkenly to watch that thing once or twice. I just haven't been able to do it. Now, I'm not going to lie. Like, that could easily be the alcohol talking and not wanting to, like, focus in on a sci-fi. But there's something about the original Dune that just I am not really vibing at this particular time in my life. It's it's not, a, it's not a great movie. I mean, it's very confusing, and they tried to, they tried to pull too much out of the book. Uh, they tried to pull too much stuff that was in the book. It, it just, mm-hmm. It's just not a great adaptation. It's, it's definitely ambitious. It's just not a great a- adaptation. I definitely understand. And when I saw this trailer, Dune, Villeneuve's Dune, I was blown away. Like, I mean, it could be the fact that I've only watched maybe five movie trailers this whole, like, summer. But uh, I kid you not, that was something I've repeatedly watched. Like, it just, it looks amazing. I hope to God that this Dune is, like, something that I sit down that I'm engaged in the entire time and that I'm leaving the theater or my living room and I'm just like happy as a clam. You know what I'm saying? Everything that I've seen so far, it totally looks like that. Now I could completely understand and I could definitely, definitely see Dune being a kind of catalyst to blow open the door for more hard sci-fi. And I also agree with you that it's definitely being more accepted, a hundred percent being more accepted. And I 
could theorize that this is just like um, a result of maybe like all these places uh, needing original programming and they need sci-fi stuff. They're willing to throw out uh, the money to do so, to do it right. Like the man in the high castle, like my God, man, the production quality on that for Amazon. Unreal. It's unreal. Unbelievable. That's like, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this, but that is one of their first like five to 10 shows that they put out, something like that. Yeah. It was was their first. And that was like their, that was like their first like tentpole. That was like for them, House of Cards, yeah. um, you know, Orange is the New Black kind of like deal. Like that was like their one that they're, that they're like, you have to, like, this is what we're putting our money behind, our marketing behind, this is it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and they did an amazing job. Yeah. And like, I think that, at least like in my own mind, like what I'm, I'm hoping is, is that people are starting to see that sci-fi is more than just like nerds and spaceships and all this stuff that you can really tell compelling, you could tell very dramatic. You could tell extremely entertaining and funny and actiony stuff all in the sci-fi genre. And when sci-fi is mixed with one of these other genres and it's done right, it just comes out. It's just wonderful, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't even have to be like something that is like set in space and with aliens and all that stuff. It could just be like more of a muted but still hard sci-fi laden science and fiction and all this stuff yeah. just like basically like everything kind of thrown into one but on a more grounded scale and still be like the greatest thing ever and like you're right with devs devs is one of these shows that i kid you not man it, it is a sci-fi as hell it is it's a slow moving like very very hard sci-fi show it doesn't offer any type of uh, aliens or explosions or big time like uh, cgi effects there's like really maybe there is cgi in it but it's not like Kaiju's attack of the country, right? Right, right. Which is weird because it is taking place in San Francisco. But uh, so, um, like, and I and I just feel that um, writers and producers and directors and people in the industry are now starting to kind of figure out like how to really suck the most out of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's been there's been amazing sci-fi stuff um, in the past, and you've mentioned great great examples of hard sci-fi that have like broken through the barrier with 2001 especially yeah and i think we're getting to that point where like it's almost like the audiences the mainstreaming of sci-fi but also kind of like some of the newer fresh genius that's behind sci-fi are all kind of like coming together and the fact that these shows being on Netflix and Amazon are just basically like here they're they're given to you that you could watch at any point in time. It's not like how it was in the olden days where if you wanted to watch certain sci-fi shows, you had to be in front of your TV at nine o'clock. So it's just a little bit more accessible, and because it's more accessible, because it's a little bit a little bit more quality of a production, I think that audiences are starting to pick up on it. And we talked many times about how like horror is in this like horror is in this like big time uh, renaissance or resurgence mm-hmm. right now that maybe sci-fi could be the next horror resurgence for whenever whenever the horror thing ends and it doesn't show any signs of stopping now right right yeah it's uh, it it's one of, it's one of those things like if dune is the critical and and also more importantly the financial hit that they that they hope it is then you're going to have studios scrambling to go th- to to find various older properties or new properties um like i was dude i was shocked that the show raised by wolves is an original script it felt like something older but it's an original script and like they're as we get more and more streamer streaming services and we get more and more outlets for more and more tv shows that's going to be like a that's going to be an easy grab 
is to okay. just to find all of these all of these sci-fi stories, especially one of the one of the one of the big um, veins that they have they've yet to mine yet. Um, all the Afro future sci-fi stuff, and in the wake of all the social justice stuff that we're going through, there's going to be a lot of black black authors and black writers that have had stuff sitting on the shelf for 30, 40 years that are finally going to be discovered in the coming decade, if Dune is a big hit. I hope to God that a wave of Afrofuturism hits Hollywood like you would not believe. Because I, I just got introduced to this whole concept. I am maybe like around the time Black Panther came out, so about two years or so ago. That's how I found out about it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, am <laughs> that, I am that basic. Um, but because uh, when I, when Black Panther came out, there were um, a couple articles that I read about Afrofuturism and what it means and like the, the, the genre and stuff and. There's not too many examples of it. Like it's it's not anywhere. I mean, there are more like black exploitation films than there are like Afrofuturism Afro films. Yeah, yeah. And dude, the if you go to like Wikipedia or even if you like Google uh, Afrofuturism and just click the images, what they're awesome. Like I love all the colors. I mm-hmm. love like the way that they take the um, some of the tribal imagery and some of like the tribal weapons and clothing and kind of manipulate it to be a little bit more futuristic. I think it all looks really fucking awesome. And if Black Panther is like any indication of what Afrofuturism could be on screen, dude, I'm all I'm all Oh, for sure. Dude, there's there are they nailed, nailed. there are there are dozens and dozens and dozens of like high profile uh black sci-fi writers that just never they never had their work exposed because they were black sci-fi writers. Because there are black people right. writing in sci-fi genre, like a nerdy genre right. that doesn't really that you don't think of African Americans or you know, well, you know, not just African Americans, but you wouldn't think of as being a, a genre that would be that would be populated by so many black people. Right, exactly, dude. And I know that um, in the wake of some of this civil rights crises that we faced as a country over the course of the last like. Uh, two, three months, and, and evidently it's been going on for years. I'm not saying anything right. about, like, I'm not taking anything away from the past, but in light of, like, what we have experienced this particular year, and judging from what I've seen screenwriting contest-wise, some of, like, just stuff that I see on Twitter, there is definitely a major call for more um, African-American and minority writers, and that could, that is just one of these things, that if Dune is good, that could blow open the door for all kinds of different, like, sci-fi stuff that you and I probably, like, I, I know me anyway, probably wouldn't even have thought to have written because it's just, it's like, it's like, um, you know, like rooted in the African-American community, which I, I don't know all the details of, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, I, there could be stuff in there that, like, hidden, um, not hidden, but, like, there could be, like, a, like, fables and folklore and all kinds of, like, stories and stuff like that, like, tribal stories that have been passed out from generation to generation that could be getting like a sci-fi tweak or a sci-fi fix or something. And, or even just in general, like we could be seeing more African-American stories be brought to the limelight in wake of this oh, situation. For sure. Oh, for sure. oh, for sure. We're going to a hundred percent. We're going to, I, I maintain, I think, I, I think I mentioned it on, on an episode that we did last year. I maintain that the, the better, the, the better Independence Day sequel. Did you see Independence Day Resurgent? Resurgence. Yeah, I actually did. I did. Okay. I, yeah. I I think the better sequel would have been to because like the the African warlord. I can't remember who plays him, um, but the African warlord has the story about how after the after the craft, the first craft that landed, you know, post, you know, post the 
uh, the computer virus, like a, a craft actually landed and started like drilling into the earth, um, that he spent like the next several like years like hunting them down. Mm-hmm. That's the fucking sequel I want to see. I want to see yeah. this African warlord battling fucking aliens. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Yeah, not. To, I don't want to see like the same movie, but twenty no. years into the future and everything's just all jacked up. And I tell me, with, with a movie like Independence Day, and especially with something like an alien invasion, now I did Roland Emmerich. Who I, I know he did the first one. I can't remember if he did the second one. I'm just assuming that he did. Yeah, he did. That guy just wants to destroy the world like at all costs and. For the first one in 95, like, yes, a big grand scope thing is just, like, that's, as a kid, like, yeah, dude, like, I was so excited for Independence Day, but I'm not gonna lie, man, like, you don't need to, like, go global and do the same thing over again. There's so much fucking room for potential in this world that you've already created. The, yep. the planet recovering from an alien invasion, like, my God, you could do a string of Independence Day movies and they'll all be different. Yep, exactly. Or you could do that... Nowadays, that would call for an Independence Day like series. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Like an anthology series yep. or something like that. Everything yep. tells a different story or something. Oh yep. God, yeah! And, and that's that's the kind of shit that those are the kind of settings that I think people need. It's like in the wake of an alien invasion or something that's just a little bit more creative than Hey, by the way, they're showing up again. They got better. <laughs> but this time the side. ship's even bigger. <laughs> oh, it's so huge! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. I know. <laughs> All right. Um, let's. Uh, I think I'm up. Am I? Am I not up? Yeah, I'm up right now. You are, dude, for sure. Um, let's see here. I'm gonna go with uh, on the other side. Okay. All right. So this is one of my longer ones. This is actually the more basic of the two or the three longer ones that I had, and uh, it's called on the other side because um, when people usually think about comic book derived entertainment they usually think of marvel and dc mm-hmm. well this this is a year that uh we haven't had a lot of marvel and dc actually dc released birds of prey in february and i believe that is the last comic book movie that was in the theater because we went right after we went into lockdown like three weeks after yep. birds of uh, prey. yeah otherwise we would have had wonder woman in april or may we would have had it in uh in may yeah, yeah. in may for sure and we would have had a black widow movie from marvel this year as well yep um, I can't remember if there were any other Marvel movies on the slate, but um, long story short is the comic book industry that has been shining in 2020 is the labels that are on the other side of that coin. Hence the uh, title oh. that was the only thing I could think of this one without uh, <laughs> making it too obvious. Fellini, uh, the song Land of Confusion by Genesis was another prime candidate mm. for uh, mm. this particular category. <laughs> but um so in the other side of comics, I'm going to talk about two series here, and that is the Umbrella Academy and the Boys. Okay, now uh, the Umbrella Academy came out um, while we were on our little uh, break and everything, and the Boys just came out, which I'm not going to dabble in too much because uh, I just it's I just don't want to open up floodgate here or anything like that. But what I am going to go with is um, I'm just going to start off by saying that I I did enjoy the second season of the Umbrella Academy. Um, it kind of like lost me a little bit towards the end. And I know it's weird because all these stories are basically the same thing over and over again. But once we got to the, have you seen it? Really quick? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. It felt like it was an episode too long. I, I completely agree with you. Um, that's, that's exactly right. And once we got to kind of the twist with, um, Lila's character and everything, um, Lidu Arya, I think is her name, uh, mm. Ritu Arya's character, where she was able to, like, absorb all their powers, I was like, okay, 
now it kind of seems like we've seen this before, but it's, but it's really no different than anything else we've seen before. I just happen to think that the Umbrella Academy takes the whole we've seen this before and does it a little bit differently. Yeah. So that, I just, I'm, and not to mention I'm a fan of this stuff, so I'm going to be hooked into any of this stuff no matter what. At least I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And um, so I just felt like, you know, it was it just kind of, it didn't leave me with like the same kind of like, oh my god, I can't wait for this that the, the first one did. So I actually went out and I got the comic books. I got volume two and three of the Umbrella Academy, um, which uh, I will tell you that the Umbrella Academy comics are a little bit better in the show. And the main thing that I was going with this whole section is, and I'll get to the voice here, is that um, if you do watch some of these shows, you may be tempted to go out and like buy the comics. Like as I did, I own five versions or five volumes of the boys now, or sorry, four volumes of the boys and three volumes of the Umbrella Academy. That's how much I dig these shows. The Umbrella Academy's comics are definitely better than the show. It's just a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. I think you really get uh, you really get like you really get what Gerard Way's voice and this guy uh, Gabriel Bow like their art and everything. The yeah. way that they merge together, it's so perfect. And it's a little bit faster paced in the comics. Um, and the, the TV show really like does a lot of work to make this like a cohesive TV show. I have to give them a lot of props for that. But I do feel that the comic books are better of the Umbrella Academy than the show. Now, with The Boys, it's the exact opposite. And I wanted to let everybody know about this because season two of The Boys is here. It's great. You may be motivated to go out and read some of the comics, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. The comics are great, okay? The Boys comics are great. You still get the same sense of humor, some of the weird, like, brutal stuff that's supposed to be funny, like... Dolphins flying and getting hit by a car. I love that. That was, that was, it was so awful, but so fucking funny. I know. And the same thing with the whale from season two, what happens with the boats and everything. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was the the exact same kind of reaction out of me. And you still get stuff like that in the books. Like there's a, a character, they put a bomb inside of a vibrator in one of the characters. It's fantastic. So you still get that same kind of sense of humor. Um, you still get the seven. Um, however, Translucent is not in the comics. Uh, it's actually replaced by this guy named Jack from Jupiter, who's kind of like an alien. And I do want to apologize to everybody because one of the episodes we did prior to the break, I was under the impression that Morgan Spector was Translucent, the guy from The Plot Against America. I was wrong. It's actually this guy named Alex Hassel, who was fantastic as Translucent. I kind of wish we got at least one or two more episodes out of him. But... Um, Translucent's not in there. And the other thing that I want to let everybody know about, and this is the important thing, is that the boys' comics are nothing like the show. It is very, very different. And when you get the first volume, you're going to notice that there are certain parallels, like Huey's girlfriend dies, and you get a train. You get a train only. A train is white in the uh, in the comics, mm-hmm. and um, you still get some of the seven and everything. It still kind of feels like the show. But then after issue number six, it breaks off and becomes an entirely different thing. Like the boys go on missions. They're trying to unlock this big conspiracy within the government and the superheroes. So the, the plot is much more expanded in the comics. And they get into stuff in the comics that they don't even touch in the show. And the show does a really, really good job of taking all this and kind of condensing it down into like these, the boys versus the the superheroes, which at its core, the comic is about that, but it's just such an expanded story that they take a break from the superheroes for a while. Mm -hmm. So 
if you are planning on doing this, I just want to let everybody know out there that um, the boys you got to at least buy two volumes of to kind of pick up the pace and get back into the, some of the superhero stuff because that resumes in the second volume. You go six or seven issues with no superheroes whatsoever out of 14 issues that are in the first volume. So um, I will just wholeheartedly recommend reading the comics, but just know that it's a little bit different of an experience and you kind of have to judge the show and the comic as two different commodities, whereas some of the earlier days of Game of Thrones where it was very, very to the book and stuff, you were mm-hmm. kind of able to like merge them as one and you kind of maybe saw George R. R. Martin in the TV show, which was totally didn't happen after season five. <laughs> Not, at the, um, <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. The boys is... It's definitely the TV show belongs to the writers and the books belong to the writers of the comic book. So uh, I enjoyed what I've seen of the boys so far. Um, I cannot wait for more episodes. I think Aya Cash is fantastic and a great addition to the show. Um, not going to get too much into that because I'm just going to go off on a tangent, but um, just know that uh, out of the comic book driven material and entertainment this year, the true, true shining stars are Dark Horse Comics, who produce, who publishes the Umbrella Academy, and um, Dynamite Comics that publishes the Boys. They're the stars of the See, and this is, and you're right. The, the Boys is, is great so far. Um, and actually, I do want to talk. I have something on on the Boys, not really on the Boys, but I'll mention them later too. Um, that it, 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 I think. I think because, and this actually is sort of the effect that I'm hoping that Dune has on sci-fi. Obviously, Marvel has had that effect on other other comic book properties coming to the surface, and it is so great that it is so great that like we we mentioned this before when we talked about the boys last year. It is so great that Amazon went and found who, who's the is Seth Rogen one of the producers, correct? He is one of the producers. Yes. So that that Seth that via Seth Rogen, um, that they mined something that wasn't that using using the popularity of the superhero genre, the immense popularity of the superhero genre, went and found something that isn't about saving the planet or right. just defeating the villains. That that they went and found something so different. And even even though the Umbrella Academy kind of is about saving the planet, well, it literally is. Uh, or trying to avoid, uh, you know, trying to avoid ap- the apocalypse, it still is so radically different than anything else we've, you know, we've we've seen the the big superhero team up movies, and we've never seen it like the Umbrella Academy necessarily. Um, right. Gar- Guardians is the closest we get to it, right? Um, but it's it's great that there are other that we're mining that we're mining stuff like the comic book, the comic book, you know, the comic book world for vastly different stories. Because there are a lot of great stories that are being told in the comic books that would be... I think there's one... There's a comic book that's set in Cleveland um, that is getting that is getting a TV show in the coming years. Really? Yeah, is it, I want to say... Is it's that a, Lake Erie Monster or something? No, I think, it's called, I think it's called The Paper Girls. Okay. Where, like, it's, like, this group of, of girls that are, like, bike riding, like, paper delivery girls who are, like, also... Also, like... I don't know if they're superheroes necessarily or... I forgot what the the plot, the plot of it is, but I think it's called Paper Girls. Um, but that's going to get a TV treatment in the coming in the coming years. I, I don't I'm not sure if it's animated or if it's like live action, but regardless, like it, it sounds vastly different from like your typical superhero, you know, comic book superhero stuff. 
Yeah, dude. And I've recently, like only in recent years, like probably since we've lived down here in California, I've been turned on to some of the more alternative stuff in comics. And I've been reading this um, series called Saga. It's fucking awesome. It's like, it's kind of like Star Wars and almost like, um, kind of like a children of men type thing where like uh, somebody is born unexpectedly, like a child is born in this world and no one thought it was going to happen. And dude, the, I'll just put it out right. There's a character that has, he's a prince. It's a human being that has a TV for a head. There's Mm -hmm. all these crazy cool monsters in it. There's nudity. There's F-bombs. Like, it's actually funny. Like, I I rarely, like, burst out in laughter from reading print. But I was, like, laughing. Like, I mean, it's it's a really good, well-written story. And this is something, it's won awards. It's got a fucking bunch of awards. It's by this guy named Brian K. Vaughn, who's done, like, Why the Last Man, and he's done some other... He's been, like, um, writers and makers and shit like that on, like, other projects and stuff. But it's a great series. And, like, this is something that is right to come to television. And I, I hope it does, and I hope that The Boys blows up the, the comic book genre to find all kinds of stuff that um, that even I, even I or even the nerdiest of nerds don't know. Right, right. No, I, I'm with you there. I'm with you. absolutely, man. Um, just real quick, I was looking this up. Uh, Paper Girls follows the follows four 12 year old newspaper delivery girls. Um, it's set in Stony Stream, a fictional suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. While out delivering papers on the morning morning after Halloween, the town is struck by an invasion from a mysterious force of the future, and the girls become unwittingly unwillingly caught up in a conflict between two warring factions of time travelers. I'd watch it. I'm yeah. sold. Um, Amazon Amazon ordered the series last month. Very, very nice. Dude, so, I hope get Sophia Lillis as one of the girls and ab- stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, but yeah, there's just there's just so much uncharted territory that doesn't revolve around Batman, Superman, the Avengers, and it's not even necessarily superhero stuff. That that like that is it is sitting there readily available to be to be to be turned into a TV show, a movie or whatever else. There's just so much of it so much of it sitting there ready to go. Um you know, it's just someone's someone just has the right people. As we talked about this before, the right gatekeepers have to have it brought to their attention. Yep, that's all it is, dude. It's getting the it's getting the right material into the hands of the right person. It's yep. all just one big roulette wheel of luck. Yep. All right, uh, let's hop back into it. Chema, am I up or are you up? I'm up to select a category for you. Okay. All right, so let's see here. I'm interested to hear what Electric Avenue is all about. Uh, this is this is my last quick one, actually. Um, Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. I don't know if Eddie Grant's still alive or not, but classic uh, classic '80s reggae song. Um, you've heard it at uh, I don't know probably a hundred weddings, um, even though it's definitely not about a wedding. It's not definitely not a wedding song. Um, nope. But uh, Electric Avenue. This is totally based on. This is 100% based on title. This is about. Um, this is sports one. I'm talking baseball here. This is about specifically. Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh yeah, um, could, could I like maybe the most young, exciting electric athlete playing baseball right now? Um, I think most everyone would still tell you that Mike Trout is the best player still in baseball, but mm-hmm. at 21 years old, Fernando Tatis Jr. has a pretty good claim to maybe being the second best player in all of baseball. Um, whether it's hitting monster home runs, stealing bases, playing Gold Glove caliber defense. Making plays that like I've I've literally only seen a few other shortstops, um, you know, and this you know I've ever ever seen a few other shortstops uh, make, um, and, and this is coming from someone who got to watch Omar Vizquel up close and got to see the last he was still yeah. good but got to see the last few years of Ozzy Smith play, 
Um, he makes these plays look so fucking easy. And he is just one of an army of young super athletes that are playing right now. Juan Soto, Luis Robert. I know I've mentioned Ronald Acuna before in, in various um, in, in a few other podcasts. These guys are all under 23 or 22. Um, Cody Bellinger's 24, 25. Um, his teammate, Dustin May, he's a pitcher for the Dodgers, throws a, an electric fastball that literally looks like it's going to come and hit you. Um, throws at 99 to 100 miles an hour. Uh, he's 23 years old. The The Kansas City Royals have a closer. Uh, I think he's just a reliever right now. He's not their closer yet. But Josh Stamont, who's going to be a, a big-time closer in the future, this dude's 23 years old, throws about 101 miles an hour, and it has hard, hard movement on it that comes into your hands. There are a ton of exciting players playing baseball right now, and it's so fucking unfortunate no one in the stands gets to see them, and they're only playing 60 games. Yeah, I know, man. Like Tatis, for example, like who I believe is the home run leader right now in the league. Uh, um, if that, it's Trout, either him or Trout, Trout. Just, Trout just overtook him. Okay, and then Trout's in the 300 club then, right? With that home run, he, carried him over? At, he's at 302 now. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. I knew I knew that like um, within the last couple of weeks that was like a big storyline yep. is Trout joining the the uh, three hundred club and everything. And yep. dude, like the fucking San Diego Padres are they're kind of like a commodity to watch around here. They're making some buzz and everything. Sure. Um, I believe that they lead the league in grand slams right now with seven, which I think is more than any other team. Oh, it's, I, I would be surprised if any other team has more than two. Yeah, I mean, like it's just it's nuts, like the kind of like numbers that they're putting up, and the fact that they just got Clevenger as a from us and everything, mm-hmm. it gives them like another solid pitcher and stuff. And you could be looking at like a real playoff contender because I think the NL West, like, was like four of the five teams are actually like not horrible. So like I know the the Rockies, I think, are a little bit shaky and everything. I know that Blackman was on fire for like a part of the beginning of the league, but yeah, he had, uh, he or in the beginning of the like, season, he had five hundred yeah, for like two weeks, dude, three weeks. He had, you're right. He had five hundred for two fucking weeks. He was the um, the leading the league leader in um in like batting average or something yeah, like that like for a couple weeks shit. at five. Yeah, I know it's nuts. And he he dropped recently and stuff like that, but he's still within the top ten. And um. So like the NL West is actually looking to shaping up to be a pretty entertaining, uh, little chunk of baseball and everything like that for people that are, uh, for all about the national league and stuff. And there's like, you're entirely right on this, like with this young talent and everything. And even the Indians has got this new pitcher named, uh, Tristan Kirksey. Is that his name? Tristan, Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie. That's right. Yep. Kirksey is a football player for something like that, I think. But, um, yeah, so this guy, like I heard his interview on the radio with Bull and Fox. He seems like a bright guy. And this is another like taller, lanky dude that I can see as maybe kind of like a maybe in my own dreams, kind of like a Indians equivalent to Randy Johnson, if he ever got to be that good. And with the way that the Indians had the reputation of developing pitching talent, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy becomes a, a contender of some sorts in mm-hmm. the next couple of years when it comes to being like a real hotshot pitcher and stuff. So, yeah, man. I mean, there's like, there's definitely a lot of young talent that's going around the league and it's making the sport, it's, it's making the sport make headlines and stuff. Like I get on Instagram every morning, there's an overabundance of highlights. It's overabundance of San Diego Padres highlights. It seems like just about every single day. And uh, there's all kinds of really cool stuff that's happening in baseball too. Like the Braves yesterday, I think scored 29 runs, 29 runs. Yeah. And uh, a really stupid fact, which I heard, I heard this on the radio. Um, I believe this to be like 99% true because it came from um, Bull and Fox's like sound guy producer, that Jonathan Peterlin guy. who's pretty good with stats. The Atlanta Braves and there's 29 runs. The Browns never scored 29 points when Hugh Jackson was the coach during that 0-16 season. I 100% believe that. Yeah. 
So the fact that the Atlanta Braves were able to put up 29 runs, like I, I love this shit. Like I don't care about any of this unspoken rule of baseball stuff or whatever. Oh, if yeah. you want, if you want to put points on the board, fucking put them on the board. And like, aside from that, there's been the, uh, there's been the, um, the runner that starts on second in extra innings, which has been a very, very interesting twist mm-hmm. so far this season. Um, I don't think we've had too many extra inning games, but I know that they happen. And I, I've seen highlights of, um, of what goes on with them. The extra runner. I love this idea. I think that the DH being in the NL, like, I, Oh, that's Stan. I'm, there's, there's no way that they get like, rid of that next year. Dude, like I'm telling you part of me, and this is a very, very small part. And this is like, I'm not like the biggest baseball loyalist or truest out there, but Part of me does kind of like the idea of the pitcher being able to bat, but then just seeing how much more offense. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. They're not like Steve Nebraska or anything like that who comes up and hits a home run every fucking time. But they're, um, they're, uh, like it's just. I don't know. Like, I think it's like a position that should hit, but nobody can hit. So the fact that the DH is giving a new like breath and shot of offense into the National League, I think that this is great, and I hope to God that they. They kind of keep it this way. I see no reason for it to uh, to go anywhere, especially with what it's doing for the game. So yeah. you're right, man. It's There's a lot of cool stuff happening, and it's, it's unfortunate that people can't get into the stands and get into the stadiums to see this stuff because I got to tell you, and like I felt this way for the longest time. I felt it in Cleveland. I feel the same way here in Los Angeles, and that is – Baseball is by far and away the most accessible sport for anybody to go to. The tickets are usually like on the more affordable side. Yeah, they're yeah, pretty reasonable. To, and dude, like the Indians and that district ticket and getting the beers and mm-hmm. just being able to stand there. This kind of stuff doesn't happen in the NFL. The NFL, but mainly because the NFL doesn't need to sell fifteen dollars tickets with two beers included. <laughs> right, but, exactly. but um, but the fact that the MLB does this kind of stuff, I feel it makes it very, very accessible. Um, families can go to to the, the game and everything like that. And the best part is, is that baseball isn't taking away the the blue collar element of sports and like SoFi Stadium is five miles away from us like it is actually the closest venue to where we live in Los Angeles for the forum and where the the new Clippers arena will Mm. eventually go and dude like I'm like lightweight terrified to go into that stadium because Jess and I we were talking like all like you know drunk and casually over the weekend like yeah let's go to a Rams game let's go do this 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 with the stadium and I'm thinking like yeah, you know, we could probably do that. We may not eat out for about a week or two because of the, what it's going to cost. But, oh, it's going to cost uh, you a like, fortune to walk into those oh, doors. It's fucking ridiculous. It's going to cost so much. Even if the team is bad, like like next year, even if the team is bad, which could totally happen, um, considering they lost Gurley and everything this past uh, this past year and haven't done much in the offseason to make up for their offense, they could easily be bad. And, dude, like, it is going to fucking be a gut punch to the stomach to pay over a hundred bucks to sit in the Ram stadium and watch like a shitty product. I don't even, I don't even want to know what it's like to be a chargers fan. To oh not my even, God. I know. Oh dude. I like those people. Like, I mean, it, that's a whole other thing that like I'm starting, like as a Browns fan, I think I can feel for these people, but with baseball, like the Dodgers and everything, those tickets are very, very affordable. Um, it's, it's kind of like a sporting experience that you could, you could like take your girlfriend to like just loves going to the games and getting drunk and eating stadium food as, as do I. So, um, the fact that we're not able to get into the ballpark, to have these summer experiences, to see this talent on the field, to enjoy the, this kind of new, a new image of the game with all this stuff that's happening because of the pandemic. It's, it is kind of unfortunate, yeah. man. It, it really is. Yep. Uh, Fernando Tatis is a dad though. Uh, the uh, Fernando Tatis senior, he has a record that m- probably no one will ever, maybe not a record, I guess a feat 
would be more okay. appropriate that no one will ever break. Do you have any idea what it, what it is? Is he the guy who's been hit by the most pitches? He is not. Um, okay. That's actually that's actually the um, at least it, it was it's the late Don Baylor um, who managed some teams uh, is like the guy who's hit the most. Like okay, and it's like gotcha. by a lot. <laughs> it's by a mm-hmm. lot. But um right. Um no, Fernando Tatis Sr. when he was with the Cardinals, he was on he was on those Cardinals teams with uh, McGuire. Um his dad was not a his dad was not a bad player, more of a utility player, but um Fernando Tatis Sr. against the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium had two grand slams in the same inning off the same pitcher. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Number one, that pitcher's I hope they fired that pitcher. Right? It, was, it was a good pitcher. I think it was Chan Ho Park, who was a good pitcher for them for a long time, actually. Oh Just no a bad, shit. bad start. Yeah, wow, that must have been the worst day of his life. Probably. Two goddamn grand slams. Like I if I was Tati Senior, I'd love the shit out of that dude. Two grand slams, like it's a rare thing that somebody hits one, but to let alone hit two or even be in the position to hit two in the same game. In the same inning. In the same pitcher in the same inning. It's just yeah. fucking nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so I mean, think about it that way. Like the next person there's like a I, I don't call them records in baseball. They, there's a lot of feats. Like that, mm-hmm. just because it's not like anyone was trying to get two grand slams in the same inning yeah. the same pitcher. Um, oh yeah. So like, there's a lot of stuff like that in baseball. Like, so if you're gonna do that, you gotta hit three grand slams in the same inning off the same pitcher. What pitcher is gonna be around for to give up three grand slams? Oh, absolutely. In None a modern day setting, they're gonna yank that guy so fast. Yeah. Like he'd barely get through the first grand slam. Right. Exactly. So yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that in baseball. There's like, I guess you'd call them records, but there's just like these feats that'll never be equaled because of. Like no one's, um, what's his? I forgot, I forgot the, the. I always forget this guy's name. He threw back to back no hitters. So to break that, you're gonna have to throw three consecutive no hitters. Yeah, and that's not happening. You're not, you're not, not happening. It. You're not gonna do it. So. No, and th- there's only been one no hitter. This the White Sox guy got like Luke something uh, or other. Gio- yeah, remember. Lucas Giolito. Yeah, he he's the only one who's thrown one this year. So I mean, yep. it just shows you how difficult the, the that Indians, feat is to get. The Indians tonight came about four outs away from having one thrown against them. Oh no, shit! Yeah, really? the Royals rookie, this really good looking rookie Brady Singer, uh, had us two outs in the eighth inning before we got hit. Yeah, that explains why um, on Instagram when we were on the break, this Instagram page I think it's called MLB Trash Talkers was just like, "Hey, turn into the Royals game right now." Oh, I was yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what the hell was going on with that. So it's good that the Indians didn't get a no hitter. Did we lose that game? Oh yeah, it was like eleven and we, one or something. Yeah, so we dropped the last two to Kansas City then, right? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to get a couple uh, more. Even though I know we're so far like being we're. We're, we are still behind the Twins, right? It's kind of close. Uh, no, like, we're behind the, the White time... Sox. Behind the White Sox now. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I haven't checked the standings in a couple of days. Um, the uh, It's good to see that we're still there. We're probably going to make the playoffs and everything, but I don't know. They've they've kind of tanked a couple games to teams that they shouldn't have, and they've they've kind of won like you know they've kind of got a lot of like hand me games with playing the oh, pirates yeah. and everything like that as much as they have mm-hmm. um i would have thought that they were going to trade clevenger to get some type of hitter some type of outfielder that could bring us like a little bit of yeah bat, but uh, it, it just it, didn't happen it, it makes it makes sense that trade makes perfect sense for the next couple of years i mean it makes perfect sense because we don't we really don't know where like teams like the dodgers and the yankees next season money-wise. I mean, they're going to take a hit this year, obviously. But they still have a war chest to, they can, like, dip into. Obviously, the, the Dodgers signed Mookie Betts to a massive deal this year. So, like, they there is money there for them. But, like, teams like the Indians, teams like the teams like the Brewers, they have to, like, make 
creative moves now for the next couple of years, just mm-hmm. because like we don't know like what the financial bottom line is going to look like for the Indians next year. Right, that's right. And do you think that was Clevenger the target of this trade? Do you think that whole like him leaving to go to Chicago that oh that there, leaving... there's a possibility he was going to get traded anyway. Okay, gotcha. Like there's a lot of like um, at least like when this whole thing happened that. Some kind of talk that I heard on the radio that, like, you know, he was going to get traded because of this, what happened in Chicago with him and Plesak, I believe. Yeah, Plesak. It probably didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I should say it didn't help anything, but that was, he's under control for a couple of years, and the Indians are probably rightfully so very confident that they could replace him. Yeah. So so they're like, well, he's going to end up costing them a lot of money next year and the year after if they want to keep them probably too much for a team that has no idea what their books are going to look like financially going into next year. No, that you, when you put it like that, it does, it does make a whole lot of sense and everything. I didn't think about like financial elements and how the team could be impacted in the future. Right. But you're, but you're right. There wasn't like the guy, the, the, the major league bat that they got back, Josh Naylor. um, It's not like he's, he's not like thought of that highly. Like he could be, he could end up being a nice player, you know, Mm -hmm. a decent player, but not like a great player. No, I got, I got you. And for some reason, I just like I know that like a lot of people were tuned into um, the trading deadline and stuff that day, and I it, it wasn't like super explosive. Like there weren't a whole lot of like big things that were done, and like I don't even think the Yankees really made any moves or anything like that. So it wasn't as hot of like a trade deadline. At least like when we're talking basketball, which is almost like a fucking holiday in the NBA, mm-hmm. the trade deadline. So I. I you know, we'll we'll see how everything um, pans out, and like if, if these moves end up benefiting them in the long run, that's great. Um, Short term wise, I don't know if we're a better team on paper, but who knows? Maybe some of these younger prospects or this guy Naylor will turn out to be something just just whatever we needed. You know, yeah. something to get us over that hump and keep us in contention to go beyond one round in the they, playoffs. They've done they've done such a good job the last few years making trades. I can't like, not that I'm like sitting here applauding it. But I can't like knock it necessarily either. Yeah, they've done such oh, a good right. job. It's kind of like one of these things where like because they've done a good job, maybe just kind of take their word for it and stuff. And these guys obviously know what they're doing. Maybe they're seeing something that a lot of people aren't seeing, kind of thing. Right, right. All right, uh, I believe I'm up, and uh, Chema, I'm going to go with uh, the Diamond C. Okay, all right. This is this is my long one here. So this is a. Um... All right going to try to like put this the best way here because i can't even believe that i did what i'm about to um, to tell you about and over uh labor day weekend jess and i went out to palm springs which is kind of becoming our like little california weekend getaway destination mm-hmm. it's about two hours away from la mm-hmm. it's just like a little kind of thing in the desert with palm trees and like swimming pools and bars and stuff like that and we we have a really good time when we go out there and i'm going to answer the question right away and we did not run into dua lipa who according to instagram was in palm springs this weekend we did not see her which is kind of a tragedy we are are fans of dua i'm not gonna lie dua is very very popular topic of conversation in this house (laughs) so um we so we left we got out of town uh we got out to palm springs um things were surprisingly they were following a lot of the health guidelines, which for um, Palm Springs being in the middle of the desert and a quasi little Trump hotspot of Southern California, mm-hmm. 
everybody was there were a lot of restaurant closures outdoor dining the mask thing is up for debate i'm not going to lie but there was there were definitely restaurant closures which limited what jess and i were able to do that's where i was going with this whole thing we didn't have a whole lot to do so on sunday her and i took a drive to the salton sea have you ever heard of this I thing have the heard salton of it, yes. sea yes okay we went down there we saw this motherfucker and I'm telling you, this is a really cool experience. I wanted to kind of like get into uh, some of the things with the trip. And for everybody out there who doesn't know what the Salton Sea is, the Salton Sea is located in um, Imperial County, Riverside County area of California, which is east of Los Angeles and south. So um, no joke for anybody who's ever been to Coachella out there. Coachella is on the right the Salton Sea is 30 miles down on the right-hand side, too. So when you're driving through the desert, it's desert, desert, desert. Indio, which has got a, like a strip of casinos, kind of like a little mini Las Vegas type thing. It's really interesting. There's like a good amount of casinos in Indio, mm-hmm. California. You go past the casinos. You see a sign that says Coachella. Make a right. There's a street that leads to Coachella, which I never want to go to because now that I know where Coachella is, it looks like a fucking nightmare to get in and out of. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I've, I've heard I've yeah. heard various nightmare stories about just getting to oh, Coachella. Dude, like I've, I've heard these same stories. I've heard an abundance of stories from like just following the festival circuit over the years. And I can I'm telling you, like when you when now that I've seen it with my own two eyes, it is honestly a two lane street and you make a right onto another two lane street that takes you right in there. So, I mean, it's, it's not something I'm looking forward to, <laughs> believe me. So, um, we drove past Coachella, um, about 10 miles or so down from Coachella. There is a massive palm tree farm, which I've, I've never seen one of these in my life. Dude, it's just like miles of palm trees and they're, they're all different sizes, uh, laid out perfectly in rows and stuff. Like you could see through the rows as you're driving and, couple miles after, sorry, like about 10 more miles or so after that, you start to reach the Salton Sea, which the reason that I called this section the Diamond Sea is because when you first see it, the Salton Sea has got like no waves whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's just like still water that reflects white off the sun with this mountainous background and it looks like the surface of a diamond. So believe me that that's all, literally all that I was able oh, to get okay. as far as like a clever category and stuff <laughs> like that. And the diamond sea by Sonic Youth is an amazing song. If you have 17 minutes to kill one day. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so we get out there and like, dude, all right. So just, just quickly explain like what this is. It is a shallow at its deepest 43 feet saline, endoheric rift lake so at endo endoheric is a basically it's a lake that doesn't outlet into anything it's almost like a giant puddle if you want to if you right, want to yeah. use that term and um it's near the the california mexico border it's about about 30 at its at its southernmost point it is way closer to the california mexico border but from where we were calexico was about 30 miles or so away and we were like in the middle of the Salton Sea so like you're literally you're about half an hour 40 minutes from the Mexican border like almost just about at any point in time when you're right. near the Salton Sea right so um okay so basically it was a um it kind of acts like a drainage basin it retains water but it doesn't outlet to any rivers like the way Lake Erie does into the Cuyahoga River and um it's 343 square miles so this thing is fucking huge dude like when I've seen videos about this thing and like these videos never really capture exactly how massive the Salton Sea is. But I mean, dude, it's got like a mountainous horizon in the back of it. I mean, this thing is huge. You're driving on you're driving on this road 
uh, for like 30 minutes and you could see the sea every minute of the way where it just kind of follows you. It's like the Lordstown stamping plant times 50, you know, you just drive by this <laughs> right, thing forever. Right. That thing forever. So, um, just a little quick history lesson. Uh, millions of years ago, the, the Colorado River actually flowed into the California Imperial Valley, and it created this freshwater lake that over time just became increasing, increasingly saline, saline, whatever, uh, saline. Then, um, and this kind of formed the initial like kind of like area of the Salton Sea. Then, in about 700 AD, a lake formed called Lake Cohila, C A H U I L L A which um, actually stood for about 600 years. And then there was some land moving and slit buildup that basically closed off this lake from the Cuyahoga, from the Colorado river. I'm so used to saying Cuyahoga river <laughs> that, um, that, you know, it kind of formed like, at least like it kind of shaped the modern Salton sea. And there was this Lake Cahila, which actually dried up in 50 years. So there's a whole lake in the desert. At one point in time, this Lake Cahila was one of the largest lakes in North America at the time, at the time, not, not the great lakes, but it's a pretty fucking big one. Mm -hmm. And this lake dried up within 50 years. So if that says anything about the desert climate or the changing climate of the world, 50 years to kill, a, to kill a massive lake. That's yeah. That's, so, that's very rapid. <laughs> very rapid and dude when you're driving in the desert like all over this area and even in palm springs there are remnants of like what used to be water like you could clearly tell there was a lake there at one point in time and right. like a, a bridge that could be no more than 40 or 50 years old like the, it just it goes out there you know and it just shows you about how crazy climate change and everything like that could be so um after the after like 700 AD in the 600 year period and the forming of this lake that dried up, the California development company tried to, you know, basically play God and manipulate the water and try to take some water down into the Imperial Valley. And long story short is their design kind of got messed up. They weren't getting enough water. Then eventually they made some redesigns, which gave them too much water. And it was supposed to go from uh, the Colorado River to this Alamo River Channel, then down into Mexicali. And then everything got basically got went to hell. And some of the water ran off into the Salton Basin, forming the modern day Salton Sea. And now it's basically ever since then, it has just basically been an area for irrigation runoff. There's chemical stuff. I mean, it's salty as hell. Fish still live in this thing somehow. I have Oof. no idea. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's bad. I mean, it, it smells too. When you're down there, it literally, it smells yeah. like a porter potty for miles, yeah. miles. But now that the history lesson is over with, I wanted to tell you about like what Jess and I, what Jess and I, what we did. So there's this, um, as you're driving down, there's all these beaches. There's like Salton Beach, there's Mecca Beach, and then there's this town called Bombay Beach. And Bombay Beach, when you drive it, you're driving on this 50 mile an hour road. To the right is a massive billboard that looks like something out of Jaws with a water skier that says, hey, welcome to Bombay Beach. And you make a right-hand turn into this town that is basically Boston Heights, but in the desert. And it's like <laughs> abandoned buildings, dude, graffitied up stuff, some crazy, craziest shit public art on houses. Like there's an the abandoned house with a big thing of Garfield spray painted on it. There's a house that has a massive red rooster like on the front of it. Like it's just some really interesting uh, public art. And people, some people live in these houses, some people don't. And believe you could tell. Well, you can't really tell who lives in them and stuff because I didn't want to approach these things for fear of getting my throat slit by a crackhead. But um, <laughs> there were definitely 
Um, there's definitely people living there. There's an old abandoned drive-in that actually, it, it doesn't have the original screen. It has something that kind of dubs as a screen. And there's all these abandoned cars that are laid out to kind of give, give off the vibe that it's like, I, a I feel like I've seen it. Yeah. I feel like I've seen a picture of this, of this drive-in with the cars and stuff before. Dude, I guarantee you have. Yeah. I did. I, I've seen it once I knew what this was. I had realized how many images of it I saw mm-hmm. and inside this drive-in, You'll dig this. There is a um, like an old box truck type thing that has a big mural of Steven Seagal painted on it. No <laughs> idea why, but there's a huge, huge mural mural of Steven Seagal in the Salton Sea. Oh my and god! And I got I got pictures which which I'll I'll send to you at some point. I got to pull them off of um pull them off this camera. But uh, huge Steven Seagal thing, um, abandoned drive-in, and then where so this is where this whole story kind of culminates and everything is that. Uh, once you once you kind of like go 500 feet or so down the street from this drive-in there's this kind of sand wall it's like a break wall a man-made wall that's just dirt and everything and the the wall has got three or four like lanes cut out of it so you could drive your car over the wall and into this the space that i'm about to describe mm-hmm. and once you do this and you get into this huge massive space you are looking at the the, the closest thing to Thunderdome I have ever seen in my entire life. It is a big open space. We're talking a mile and a half to the north and the south. You're looking at about 500, about 200 yards um, from your car to the actual Salton Sea. And in this space is like, dude, there is like leftover, what had to be like a power plant at one point in time, just like metal rods sticking out of the ground. There's boats that have been washed ashore and not just one, but like a couple of like abandoned boats that are just there in the middle of the Jeez. desert. The um the where my profile pic is on Facebook, me standing next yeah. to that pink chair. That pink chair is one of three pink chairs that are spaced so far apart in this area that like it just it's like public art of some kind. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the shit is just there, it's there all year round. They have this big, massive, massive metal star with barbed wire around it. I have no idea what they need the barbed wire for, but it's a huge, like just metal star that's in the middle of the desert and like since I'm from the Rust Belt and I think this whole kind of like abandoned war down shit looks really cool. Like I was like, I thought this was amazing. Like this was just, like I said, Boston Heights, but in Salton Sea, there's all, but in Southern California, there's this whole kind of like cool folklore with the town. And after seeing all this stuff, like, I mean, it is literally like, it's probably like, like, what the apocalypse would look like, you know, 50 years after it happened and stuff like that, dude, it's just a really interesting site. And then to finally wrap up this whole thing, I got one more little quick section here is that, or two more, two more quick things. Um, after we went to Salton Sea, Jess was like, Hey, let's go see this. Like there's supposedly this painted rock down here. And I was like, okay, like, like, let's, let's go check it out. I didn't really know what it was. Now I, and you know this, I am by nowhere near a religious person. By no means do I uh, get down on the man upstairs, mm-hmm. but Jess and I took a drive from Bombay beach to Salvation Mountain. Do you know what this is? I do not. Okay, Salvation Mountain is a fucking massive shrine to our Lord and Savior in the middle of the desert. It is a fucking, it is a rock that is painted. It's painted with all this, like, celebrate God. Jesus loves you. There's all these, like, abandoned buildings that are, like, graffitied up with all this pro-God graffiti and stuff. And, dude, like, I, like I said, I'm not a religious person, but I was fucking moved by this site. Like, somebody really, like... 
I don't know. It's just kind of like one of those things that's just like such an impressive thing to look at. You can't help but not like sort of appreciate it, you know, even though it's the exact opposite of what I am, which is like I'm just not a fan of organized religion in any way. But it's this really just kind of cool shrine to the Lord in the middle of the desert. And um, the people there were definitely animate about the mask wearing policy is just as mask fell off for all of like 30 seconds and she somebody said something to her. And um, we took a couple pictures. We got to see it. I got a now I got a gift for my grandmother because my grandmother's down on God like you wouldn't believe. So I could just give her a photo of this for Christmas and say I'm all good. And then the last thing that happened, and this is the last um, the last thing of this little section of mine, is on the way home, Jess and I were um, redirected from the road via a bunch of parking cones, and we were redirected from the road into a border patrol station. And at this border patrol station, a very, very large, very, very angry African-American fellow made us roll down the window. And he's just like, are you guys American citizens? And I'm like, yes, we are. He's like, you're not carrying anybody back there, are you? And he looks in the back seat and I'm like, nope. And then he's just like, OK, you can go now. <laughs> we have, So now that in and out of itself, like that doesn't necessarily sound like much, but we have been under the impression that what just took place was technically illegal. So. I um I I don't necessarily know like the fine print of the whole thing, but just seem to be pretty convinced that it just makes sense to me that somebody pulling you over and stop having you stop your car to ask if you're an American citizen, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like something that's like you know well within our rights or whatever. But that, in Trump's America, it's definitely it's not probably something that should happen. Yeah, it's definitely not something that's legal for sure. So yeah. It, Right. Like it, it definitely didn't feel like it. And I, I got to tell you, like, um, it, it wasn't a big thing. Believe me, I, I, nobody made a stink here. This guy, with the exception of being a very loud drill sergeant type person, he was, you know, like, I mean, it wasn't like anything happened. He didn't call us assholes or anything like that. But I'm not going to lie, like even for being close to the, the Mexican border. And when you go down to Mexicali, Mexicali is like a fully functional town in Calexico, which is on the um, American side, mm -hmm. which is where like it's a big border entrance point and everything like they have all the border patrol and everything down there. Like where we got stopped, we were easily 40 or 50 miles from the border on, on a seriously like a two lane road, just like one lane, double yellow line, another lane. And they use parking cones to funnel traffic into a border patrol station to question if you're a citizen or not. I mean, I guess if they're not like just pulling you over, <laughs> yeah, I, you kind of drove so, yourself into it, but also you're kind of coerced to drive into it. So I don't, yeah. but for sure, like you, you're really not supposed to ask anyone if they're an American. I mean, it's kind of his job, but at the same time, it's just, you know, he's still a cop yeah. who's supposed to be it asking, is. what are you, you know, what are you doing? Is there anybody with you? Right. And like, if anything, I thought that they were supposed to take care of that criteria down in Mexicali and Calexico, where the border situation is like, what did I drive my Honda Civic through the desert? <laughs> like, I don't I don't know. It's like, believe me, like, I know that with the way things are, something like this is probably to be expected. But it was just really weird because I'd never I'd never had that happen to me before. And like he wasn't tearing apart the car or anything like that. Thank God. It was just serious. We were in this whole thing for like 30 seconds, if that. And I was just like, wow, this has never happened. I've never been stopped by Border Patrol to be asked if I'm an American citizen or not. It's never happened. Well, you're 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 a big blonde guy. So that's, that's like true. really yeah. that really like <laughs> right. helps sort of diffuse the, the issue of you 
being an American. So you're not you're not clearly you know you're not, you're not clearly like a Latin American or anything. So that's true. That's very very true. If this was the '80s and we were still in the Cold War with Russia, it might be a little bit different. But, <laughs> right. Uh, but a bit minimal difference. But uh, you know, the, I just I I thought that 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 was like a very interesting way to cap off the. Uh, cap off the drive and um there is just one more quick thing i did want to mention because um this is something that was like oh this was just like such a great thing for jess and i to experience was we finally had dairy queen after like three years dude like <laughs> and it was so goddamn good like we we like there number one there are no dairy queens in la county you have to go to orange county go figure to, to get to the nearest dairy queen and like out here and even when when jess and i first started going out we were going to like all the Mitchells's and like the Masons and like the, the trendy ice cream yeah. places and stuff. And even out here, we have we have what's called salt and straw, which is like hands down. I, that, this pisses on Mitchell's like and I will comfortably say that as someone from Cleveland. And um, so we've been eating all these like fancy, trendy ice creams and all this shit. We went to Dairy Queen. We got two blizzards for like eight bucks. And I was the fucking happiest man on the world. Right. <laughs> I yeah, was I like, it was it was great. So. That is my um, that is my Diamond C section of uh, of this discussion and everything. This is another fun Palm Springs Labor Day weekend with a trip to the Salton Sea. Dude, I, yeah, as you were talking there, I was looking at some of the pictures of the Salton Sea, and that Salvation Mountain looks fucking wild. That looks that, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I'd love to see that up close. Dude, it's it's nuts, man. Like I, I'm telling you, like you could put a devil worshiper in front of that thing, and if he's not at least moved by like the art and the effort that went into this thing, that's not a human being. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like it's kind of like the whole like what people say about the end of that movie Miracle. Like if you don't cry during Miracle, there might be something a little mm-hmm. wrong with you. It's kind of like this. Like you you could hate God to death, but you kind of have to appreciate like what these people did to this mountain and stuff. It's it. It almost looks like the first picture that popped up. It almost looked fake. It, it looked like it looked like a yeah. drawing. Like the 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 way the 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 angle that they took the picture from, and like the brightness of the of the colors. It looks like mm-hmm. something that would have been. It looked like something that was like. It looked like a cartoon that was drawn. Yeah, like somebody photoshopped that into like a landscape yep. and stuff like that. Yeah, I dude, I know exactly what you're saying. And when you see that in person, it still kind of looks like that. It still looks very cartoony. But um, when you take a walk up there and stuff and you can actually like you start to see some of the detail and just even how they carve these rock formations to look and stuff. It, it's just a fucking awesome sight. And that, that sounds awesome. That whole, yeah, you know what? That That's like that's like one of the things that that like I'm sort of already bored with like when I have like a long week and I go exploring around here, you know, be it, uh, be it somewhere in Ohio or like if I go to Pennsylvania or even like New York or West Virginia or something. Yeah. Like I've seen it all. It all, it all looks yeah. the same at this point. Like <laughs> you, you, you know, you have like, and we talked about this before. It's part of the reason why California is, you know, the, the, the center of American entertainment. It looks like so many different places. You can go to the right. desert, you can go to the ocean, you can go to the forest, the mountains. It's all like right there for you. Yeah, dude, we've been having a lot of fun in the desert. And like, I will tell you outright that getting through the day in the desert, like if you're not sitting around a pool getting loaded all day, like Jess and I were, it could be a little bit difficult. (laughs) Like you feel that heat and that heat does not go anywhere. I've I've been in Vegas when it was like 120 degrees and I wanted to fucking shoot myself in the face. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly, it was 120 for three straight days. And like, I will tell anybody this though, the minute that that sun goes behind the mountains in Palm Springs, it is a fucking, it's like everything you could have wanted it to be. You know what I'm saying? Like it's 80, it's like 90 something degrees at night and you're walking around in like a cutoff t-shirt and stuff. Like nobody cares. No humidity. No one cares. 
Yep. Yeah, dude, everybody out there, like, it's one of these things. Jess and I went to a restaurant uh, the last time we were out there, and I was like, I don't really want to dress up for it and stuff. So I go into this, like, what is actually, like, kind of like an expensive restaurant that's next to a grocery store and a shopping center. And um, we go in there, and, like, the first thing I see is this old dude in, like, cut-off jean shorts wearing a cut-off T-shirt, and I'm like, this is my people. This is what I want out of life. I want to go to this nice Vietnamese restaurant here in the desert that's right next door to a Ralph's and sit next to this guy. This is what I want out of life. No, that's perfect. That sounds perfect. Yeah, so it was it was a good time, man. That's kind of become awesome. our, uh, our Labor Day getaway spot. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So let me go with another category for you. And um, let's see here. Let's go with uh, let's go with feels like the first time. Feels like the first time. First time. Uh, yeah, Very I, first time. Yeah, I, I was I was waiting to see who would sing it first, but um, so feels like the first time by Foreigner. Everyone fucking knows this song. My goodness. Um, but this is about a, a sort of a this is a question, I suppose. A return to weekly TV shows. Um, so we're you know we're obviously moving farther and farther into the idea of like on-demand TV, streaming TV, um, more like, I think we're less than a decade away before one of the major networks, maybe not one of the major networks, maybe one of the, one of the major cable, um, networks goes completely online. Um, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. just going to be a more cost effective format uh, for them. Um, but then maybe after that, maybe another decade or 20 years before like an ABC or NBC is just an online service. Or like, or probably their online offerings and TV offerings. There's no difference anymore. Um, so, and obviously the, the the streaming services have made it much easier to watch entire seasons of television on a weekend, or even over two weekends or whatever else. Um, you know, even even like weekly shows that aren't um, that aren't like originals from Netflix or Amazon or whatever. Um, I, you know, like I'm one of those people. Like I, I still watch The Walking Dead. But I, you know, I'll watch a few episodes and then like fall off for a month and then just catch up mm-hmm. watching it online. Um, so like, you know, and we've so like that's just sort of like the culture we're in now because we have that option. Um, and I've I've mentioned it before that like that's how there's there's entire TV shows that until recently I never watched on the night uh, that that they like originally premiered on, or I'd never watched them one at a time. I'd always watched like five or six at a time and gotten through an entire season on a weekend. Um, so like that's sort of where our entertainment has been going for the most part. And because of that, I know we've talked about this. I can't remember what episode we talked about this in, but I know we, we touched on it briefly that the, the actual structure of television has changed. Um, and, and I mean, in like in a storytelling format mostly, but there's other, there's other things that have changed too. Um, mm-hmm. there's like some obvious changes that have taken place over the last few years. Um, every single show, even if it was, a, even if it was a serialized show, every single show had some sort of cliffhanger or question at the end of the episode. Right. How often do you see a cliffhanger at the end of an episode of Stranger Things? Never. It's all like, it's all like maybe this past episode, past season with uh, Hopper being in Russia, right. but it's been fairly contained as in right. like the story is wrapped up and you maybe get something, but it's nothing like that big of a question. Right. I, I wouldn't say, yeah, it's not a question so much as it's just like a, I would say that like um, the end of like an episode of Stranger Things is like an urging to click watch next, as opposed yeah, as opposed you. to yeah. something to ruminate on, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you know, there's no there's no cliffhangers really anymore. 
um, since and since you mentioned like the, the contained the contained nature of it, there's actually I, I I think there's really there's not really a contained A or B story that just wraps up in an episode, um, because they spill over into Stranger Things is my favorite example for this, and it's not I like the show, I'm not knocking it. Um, this is just my favorite example of it because there there are A and B stories in Stranger Things that take four episodes to resolve, whereas. That's right. For sure, you would get like a B story that wraps up in a regular, like on a regular network TV show. That that B story for sure is going to wrap up, and the A mm-hmm. story might continue into one more episode before it gets wrapped up. Right, for the most part. Yeah, no, you're definitely right on that. And Stranger yeah. Things is a really great example that of prompting you to watch the next. It almost seems like I, there's a couple episodes like. Uh, in the first season that the episodes that ends with that version of David Bowie's heroes and stuff like that episode is almost just telling you to stick mm-hmm. around for the next one and everything. Yep. So I'm understanding everything yep. that you're saying here, especially about the A and B stories yep. for sure. Um, also like just period, like in, in the amount like episodic shows on the streaming networks are extremely rare. Um, you, you won't find like a new, I mean, why does Netflix even bother? Why would Netflix ever bother to release one at a time when they can just dump them all at once? Um, right. So they're just episodic shows on streaming services are rare, but they do exist, which is we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, there's also like very there's also less obvious ways that the structure of TV has changed, and these are the ones that I think are these are the ones I think that sort of pick at my brain the most because I notice them I notice them very readily. Um, one that's like there's no natural act breaks in shows. We used to have commercials in shows, kids, and right. those commercials acted literally as act breaks between Act One, Two, and Three. Or if it's a you know half hour comedy, twenty minute comedy, Act One and Two, there's a literal act mm-hmm. break for us to reset everything, think about what just happened, go get a snack, and then come back for Act Two. Right? Right. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, the season long story arcs have no break point either. Even even over like you know, let's say you're watching twelve episodes of The Walking Dead or something, or sixteen episodes I think yeah six excuse me Walking Dead is sixteen episodes. Um, there is a break point about every four episodes where the show kind of resets, where there's okay. there's there's story arcs that take place between episodes one two three and four and they get resolved and then you go on to and then there's still an overarching story that takes place over the whole season, but then new stories new people get introduced in episodes five six seven and eight. And then that gets resolved, and so on and so forth. Because we're just getting all eight or ten or whatever at once, there is no breakpoint for these at all. Again, Stranger Things. There's no breakpoint for any of these stories. It's almost like Stranger Things almost like you're watching multiple movies instead of multiple storylines. Mm-hmm. So like in multiple like in the course of watching multiple movies, you're watching storylines that just kind of go on and on. Whereas like in, in you know, if you and I were watching a, a season of Lost, or you're watching a season of Lost. It's storylines that get open and closed at various points. And right. that doesn't happen with Stranger Things. It just keeps going. No, you're definitely right on that. With Lost, like, you would get, um, just for example, there would be uh, in the first, like, before the whole, like, Lost spinny opening title card and everything, mm-hmm. you would usually get uh, maybe a flashback or a combination of a flashback and time on the island that set up some form of like a character arc for that episode. Right. And there've been like, when you get into like, um, I mean, they, they do it with everybody, but some of the episodes that stick out particular are like the ones that aren't with 
the main character. So like the um, the non Jack and the non John and the non Evangeline Lily yes. flashbacks. Like so when you're looking into like Sun and maybe Saeed and even the episode with uh that was focused on uh, Daniel Faraday as yep. the flashback the entire episode or uh, or or a very divisive episode the one with Nikki and Paolo. Oh, is the that t- um, the TV show? Yeah, for yes. what it's called. Where she, she's an actress. She's the actress. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're. I, I, can, I'm scratching the surface of knowing what you're talking about. Yeah. It just I haven't seen it in so long, and like those episodes, they almost like they sometimes with Lost, it felt like the episodes had like a job to do, and that jo- episode showed up at nine o'clock on Wednesday night to do the job, and it got done with the job at ten o'clock whenever mm-hmm. the show was over with, and you did have the over lapping and underlying story threads being woven in and out of the episode, which is just another example of the genius behind Lost in network television. Mm-hmm. Now, in the modern setting, especially what you're talking about with Stranger Things, you're right. It is like you are watching a series of longer movies over and over again. And I'm telling you, like ever since like ever since the Sopranos that has been like a thing with like premium television. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this like signature of premium TV is that like, Hey, by the way, it doesn't have to feel like a TV show. It could feel like a movie. Right. And at the same time, I'm not going to lie when now, like I, I have two different opinions on this. Okay. Because part of me is still a sucker for like episodic television. And like, I kind of don't mind like one episode addressing something with an underlying storyline. It's just something that I think it helps follow like what the story is actually about. It makes it a little Mm -hmm. bit easier for me. If you're able to like not have everything be about the one thing all the fucking time, I guess like, I don't know. It's weird. You would think that that would make it. So my attention is more focused on the main point, but when they do this, whenever they do this kind of dump and like, just, you know, not like having an episodic thing. It just, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily feel like you're watching television, I guess. And now where I'm, where I'm going with this is that part of me loves this. Okay. Like part of me loves having everything feel like a movie. I've fallen in love with the the HBO presentation of a show and it being Mm -hmm. like this long ass movie and stuff. And part of me is now starting to feel that that's the way that television should be. But there's also this part of me that is just like almost like a truest to the foundation of storytelling for the small screen. And that is where like, yeah, you could wrap up character arcs in one or two episodes. You don't need three or four. And like, I'm totally aware of what you're talking about with the walking dead and stuff like that. And I think it's, I think it's even fallen more victim to that in the later years than it was in like the earlier years and stuff. And it almost kind of seemed to be like this sort of signature trait of how they do storytelling on that show. Yeah. But it's one of these deals where when in the beginning, when the Sopranos are doing it, yeah, it feels cool. Like, this is the different thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can go watch The Sopranos on HBO and have this show that feels like a movie. But when everybody else starts jumping on that bandwagon, it kind of dilutes what is so great about the premise in the beginning. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm, so. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, it, you're right. Like, there's part of me that, that likes, if I want to watch all the episodes in one night, I'm going to fucking do it. Like, there's part of me that likes that. But then there's part of me that's that it, it's... I'm going to, I'm going to skip to one of my last points here because there's part of me that also feels like this is getting a TV show weekly and it is, and like kind of like ruminating on it and maybe watching it again. 
um, you know, to see if there's anything like you didn't pick up, especially like stuff like Westworld. Like I end up watching most of the episodes twice, um, mm-hmm. just to see things that I, you know, little little literal Easter eggs that I missed, or if there's like a point that I missed. Um, I like watching right. it again, and I feel like that is immersion. You're being immersed in the world. You're being immersed in the story. Whereas like when I get eight or ten episodes all at once, and I go through half of them in one night, I, that's inundation. I'm just being overwhelmed by it, and I forget yeah. so much shit because I've watched yeah. four to five hours of the same show, and I forgot what happened in you know minute thirty that was you know supposed to be important. Now four and a half hours later. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I I personally noticed that shows where I've had to wait a week in between, even like stuff like Entourage, I still know a lot about. Like that supporting yep. cast episode. There were times during that conversation that was just like a nostalgia boner that I could not even begin to describe. You know, no one wants to hear about that. But uh, anyway, like um, the um, like when we were talking about that and like I hadn't watched Entourage in years, like the fact that we were able to have as good of a discussion about that, like it was actually surprising, like how much like right. just almost off I, off the cuff. The last the last episode Entourage. I watched was literally probably seven or eight. No. So, yeah, like eight years ago, probably. Yeah, whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever, and it's 2013. Yeah, 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 something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bet. And dude, like, I'm telling you, like, when we had that, when we had that episode, that conversation, I was like, there was just so much that was coming back to me. If you were to ask me, like, Umbrella Academy episode specifics, which I just watched, I'm not going to be able to tell you it with the level of there's, detail that I am. Right, in there's some shit that went that it didn't. Not that it went past me. It just went in and out of my brain a lot quicker. Yeah, I totally gotcha. And. I gotta ask your opinion on this because I know I think we're gonna get into this, but like, what do you think about the boys doing this format? Well, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it. I have a little bit more here for you right now. Okay, okay, that I'm gonna no get problem. to. Um, so so and I'll I'll start there. I'll start with the boys. Um, the boys is now I think you know they released the first three episodes. Are they are they just releasing one at a time or they're doing batches? Every okay, weekend? they did. They did three episodes yeah. to, to get everybody going. And then to my understanding, it is supposed to be one, 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 one till it ends. Okay. Okay. Um, so you have the boys. Um, and I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put the boys on the back burner for right now, just for a second here. Okay. Um, but raised by wolves are the same thing on HBO max. They had three, three available. I think they're releasing that in batches. Like, I think that'll be done in like the course of like three weeks or four okay. weeks. So it, it won't stretch out quite as long. But Raised by Wolves is doing it. The Mandalorian uh, on Disney Plus is doing it. The Handmaid's Tale has already been doing it on Hulu for the last several years. Um, the various uh, Star Treks now for the past several years uh, are are weekly are weekly episodes. And I think I think um, I think basically all CBS All Access stuff. They're all weekly episodes. Um, okay. And I think I, I think I think a big part of that. Is going by is is a, a big part of it is the idea of immersion versus inundation, that even the network executives I, I remember I don't remember who it was but I think it was someone who one of the executives that works for Hulu maintained that they will never release The Handmaid's Tale all at once because they like the idea of the water cooler talk they like the mm-hmm. idea of you having to sit around with it for a week talk to your friends and family who watch the show you know create online discussion I mean look at Look at the online discussion for shows like Game of Thrones, like Breaking Bad, like The Wire. Those shows were the Sopranos. Those are water cooler shows, the textbook water cooler shows that right. drove conversation in the office and with your friends all week long. And they they think that that's like and you know the Hulu executive said that's the best way to do it. You 
people, the more you talk about The Handmaid's Tale, even if it's only one, one, one day a week, the more you're talking about it, the better. As opposed to binging all the episodes one weekend and then never talking about it again. That's a pr- I'm telling you, that is some pretty sound logic that they're using right there. And I got to tell you, like from my own personal stance, I'm a little bit torn on the subject because I I kind of like the idea of getting everything at once. And like mm-hmm. in my own mind, and what's going on in Adam Chemilewski's head is like, oh, dude, I'll be able to just chip away at this thing. You know, I'll, I'll just kind of watch it whenever I want. Maybe I'll do it one episode a week. No, that never happens. I'm binge watching the whole goddamn right. thing in like two or three days and stuff like that. And it's definitely not the same experience. And I... I can definitely understand, like, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of water cooler talk happening right now with a, of the pandemic and Very everything. True. But I think that they're they're actually making like a lot of like a lot of sense. And there are some times where, um, you know, you go online after like an episode of Game of Thrones, and usually like the first like whatever it is, like the first like day after the show, it's all the the reviews and everything, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, like, hey, by the way, this happened, this happened, that kind of stuff. But as the week goes on, people start to break down the episodes even more. And yep. that's how you maybe get like, OK, this is what Jorah meant when he said this. Or this is the connection that we found behind this line of dialogue or this, right. that and the other. Right. So in, in many ways, it gives the audience and the Internet and the review crowd and the conversation crowd kind of time to catch up with the story and everything. And then in that week, you're obviously probably watching the episode again or more than once or something. So I think it's a better way for people to, you're right, get immersed in the story to get to know the characters better. But I'm telling you, man, like I just, there's part of me that is just like, man, I just, I like cannot help, but like love the idea of having everything in front of me. But I know my own personal thing is that I just don't have the self-control to like actually stop, which is kind of why I appreciate um, just this thing with the boys really quick is that that's what they're doing. Because if 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 they would have released all the episodes, Jess and I would have hung out in the house all day at Palm Springs watching the boys, basically doing what we could be doing here (laughs) in Playa del Rey, but in the desert. (laughs) And and then we get done with um, we got done with episode two and we're like, okay, like do you want to watch the third episode? And we, we started it and then like, okay, no, let's just go do something right now. Let's not watch this now. <laughs> let's save it for another time period and stuff. So, um, I, I'm like, I completely understand what they're saying about the water cooler thing. I, I believe that they're, that they're right. And I hope to God that, you know, the idea of, um, weekly television or whatever, I hope that that stays strong because there is something, there's something genius and beautiful, about getting the opportunity to actually spend time with the show. And dude, there were times where I was watching Game of Thrones episodes three and four times just to see it if I missed anything. Like maybe I was trying to understand something better. And that would not have happened if I got all the Game of Thrones dropped yeah. on me at once. Yeah, no, there's here's and here's what I want to put the boys in the back burner. Um, because I think starting this weekend, there is a boys after talk show now. Oh, really? Because Amazon knows that they have something, and I believe that they're totally correct, but The Boys, it's bigger, The Boys is bigger than a, than a comic book show. Like, there's there's a lot to chew on and a lot to talk about. Um, so I think it's, I can't, I don't know if it's Fridays or Saturdays, there's a, like, a, like a Talking Dead style show. Because um, obviously, you know, there's actually a very good example of it, how kind of ahead of the curve uh, Walking Dead was. They had Talking right. Dead, like, with, like, within the first year to to talk or the second year excuse me the second year to talk about all the episodes and everything else 
Um, and the boys is going to do like their own version of that, where like they they talk through the episode and talk with some of the actors and people involved with it and just go through it. Is uh, Chris Hardwick going to be the host? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I can't. It might not be this week. It might be a little bit later on. But it, okay. they, there is going to be an after show that comes with the boys. See, I think that's a good idea. And dude, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about Talking Dead, I was like, "You got to be shitting me! This is what television has come to." Like, can't, I was almost like, "Can't they just throw a reality show on?" But after seeing it and kind of, you know, getting to have that experience where, like, right after the episode comes on, they're talking about it. It's pretty dope. You no, know, it I really mean, is. Especially, it's cool. you know what? It, it really depends on who the guests are. Yeah, like I, I right. love it. Yeah. When, like when I get like someone who's directly involved in the story, like a Gail Ann Hurd or, or Scott Gimple or someone, to like mm-hmm. kind of break down story stuff. Or the best is when they have one of the actors that, get, that gets killed off, come on yeah. and talk about it. Like, so depend it depends on like the who's there. But I never really. Th- you're right. I was the same way. I never really watched it the first couple of seasons that it was on, and then like I started watching it, and I was like, oh, this is actually really helpful <laughs> to like yeah. go through and talk about the show right after it happens. Right. Dude, I, I remember, like, I, I still go back to this. I will defend this till the day I die. But David Morrissey as the governor was, like, oh, one of the best. He's the man. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't seen that guy come up in more American style. I know he's been doing stuff overseas and everything because he's, he's as British as a tea, oh, as yes. a tea bag. Yes, but, like, it's a uh, – I would have thought we would have had, like, that guy show up a little bit more. But um, neither here nor there. I thought that that guy was great. And when they had him on after the, the governor was off and stuff, I was like, this is what this show, this is what the show is supposed to be. And they started to do more of that. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people from the walking dead that I'm just very surprised haven't popped up in more places. Yeah. I like, even like Lauren Cohen, I was, I still cannot believe that she hasn't been in more things. She, she uh, had, she had a, she had a show on ABC briefly that was just not very good. I, I, ABC, of course, of yeah. course. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, like, I, I mean that show probably paid her ten times as much as The Walking Dead, but oh yeah, it, but it was it was like a stupid it was a stupid like spies and love kind of show. Okay, I, I, I don't yeah. remember who, I don't remember who her Scott Foley maybe. Okay, was her counterpart? I don't remember, but it doesn't really fuck it. It doesn't really fuck it matter. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like none of the, like there's a lot of people from Walking Dead you think would pop on something else. And like it just seems like they're sort of maybe they're maybe in some cases they're just contractually stuck with the Walking that Dead until until they're dead. Yeah. So until right. they're actually dead, but who knows? Yeah, I remember seeing Glenn and um that movie Sorry to Bother You that that came out. It's on Hulu and stuff. It's a great Sorry to Bother You is fucking awesome. And um Glenn has got like a small role in in the movie, and I was like. I was like, wow, like, is this the first time I've seen a Walking Dead cast member, like, outside of Michonne and Black Panther in a movie? I was <laughs> Out like, in the wild. Right. I was like, oh, my God, you guys do stuff? Holy right. shit. <laughs> but, yeah, dude, I, I definitely understand what you're talking about. And, like, I I wanted to ask you if you um, just brought this to my attention. Did you hear about this group of people that is review bombing the boys because they're mad that they're not getting all the episodes at once? Ugh. People get fucking hobbies. I know. Like your hobby is supposed to be watching the show, not watching the show and bombing Rotten Tomatoes with shitty reviews and stuff. Like, uh, how fucking sad. Dude, it, it is it is so fucking I think it's pathetic and at the same time it is just a reflection of it is just such a true reflection microcosm whatever you want to call it of what this of what this country is like hey by the way I'm mad I'm not getting all my TV at once I'm just going to fucking photo bomb the, or review bomb the shit out of rotten Sh- tomatoes fuck those guys Chema, that's this is why we actually got the quote unquote Snyder cut 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, know. I hope it's I good. Know. I hope it's good. I really do. But the only reason it exists is because enough fucking crybabies on Twitter got Zack Snyder's attention. Yeah, I... Okay, now with the Snyder Cut, this is going to be the one time where I... I'm hoping it's good. Okay, so where, where my stance is right now is that if the Snyder Cut is good, I'm going to have to re-examine my entire... Everything that I just said to you. I'm going to have to re-examine that. But at the same time, I... This is just such a rare example where the... Justice League that was released in the theater was so bad that, like, I don't know. It almost just like you couldn't let this this be the way that this movie gets remembered, you know. So, I part of me just thinks that like the movie should be made and it should just you know whatever people have to deal with it. But this is one because I'm a big DC fan. I have my own like things with this movie and the DC movies that you guys have all heard a million times before. So this one is like almost like okay, nerds, like thank you so much. But at the same time, it kind of represents what I feel could be a major problem if stuff like this continues to happen. Yeah, I, I, exa- that's you're exactly right. That, that's my thought. My thought process, and then exactly if it's great, okay, then it's great, and that that's fantastic. If it's just the same thing we saw with like some extra scenes, then this is a talk. To- this is I don't know. Yeah. toxic fan. Maybe the definition of toxic fanhood. Right. And and that that's the thing that's starting. It scares me a little bit because we if you saw they released the trailer um, a couple weeks ago during DC's fandom over like August 22nd. I think that's Saturday. So that's when we got the Batman trailer, like mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad mm-hmm. footage, all that stuff. And now when you watch the trailer and you go to the Wikipedia page for the Zack Snyder cut, it kind of looks like you got everything in the trailer. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. They, they showed a lot of new stuff in the trailer that leads me to believe that that might be like all we see. But I've, I've heard from, I think Jason Momoa has said it. I think uh, the, the guy, Ray Fisher who played Cyborg said it, that the Snyder cut is supposedly so different. It's like a completely different movie. And I guess there's, what is it like 45 minutes of extra footage or an No, sorry. It's like an hour, hour, two hours plus of extra footage. Cause the original justice league was only like two hours long. So there's definitely some things to get excited about, but it's Zack Snyder. And believe me, I'm still, I'm very excited for this. I will be there day one. I will, I will be there to the end of this thing guaranteed. But part of me knows Zack Snyder and I'm hoping that we are not like just being set up for something that everybody thinks is going to be amazing, but turns out to be a Mondo letdown. Oops, sorry. I started talking. I didn't have my microphone. Um, No problem. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's just, honestly, if I was Snyder, I wouldn't have, give me your thoughts on this real quick. I wouldn't have even put, well, obviously HBO would feel differently, but I wouldn't even put a trailer up. Yeah, so here we go is the, the modern dichotomy of Adam Chmielewski, where that is the move. You shouldn't have put a fucking trailer out. They should have just dropped it on, like, uh, August 22nd out of nowhere, and, like, okay, guys, here it is. This is what this is what you have. You had just had the movie. Here it is. The tr- But part of me being a DC fan, I almost kind of need to know some of this stuff. Sure. So, so the trailer basically gave me some reassurances that – whatever I've already known about extra footage and stuff like that. And some of the characters are going to be in the movie. So at least I got that assurance, 
the major question is, is like, how is this utilized and how is this whole movie put together and stuff? And like, if, if it just comes down to the sky being a different color in the end, like I'm going to kind of be disappointed. Like I, <laughs> I want it to be a whole different movie and stuff. So, um, the practical side of me says they should have just dropped the movie, no trailer, but the fanboy in me is like, yeah, I'm kind of glad that some of my questions and everything like that have been answered. Yeah, now, I got you. my expectations, I'm still trying to formulate expectations because I, I honestly believe Darkseid is what you saw in the trailer of Darkseid. You're looking at five more seconds of him and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. So there are some things expectation wise that may be either unrealistic or completely out of line right now for me at the moment. But I can acknowledge that I could totally acknowledge it. And we'll just have to wait till I don't even know when I don't even think they released the announced the release date of it. So whenever it comes out, I'll, I'll have my answers. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Chema. I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this question then just to wrap up my, my segment here on this one. Okay. Are we, are we going to see a lot more weekly TV shows? Do you think the, the binge model, not that it's going to go away, but we're going to see less of it. Okay. The answer is yes. I think we're going to see less of it. And what I, off the top of my head, what I think is going to happen is the more successful shows on these networks. So like Amazon's the boys, um, flea, flea bag, maybe on Amazon flea bag would be a genius idea to just release this sporadically. There's only six episodes and they're a half an hour each. Like right. they should be doing that every week. So um, even on Netflix, like I don't need to be honest with you. I don't even really know what Netflix biggest show is. Like, oh, Ozark will be over with, but um, the bigger shows I could see going week to week to week to week to week. Yeah. Um, and I think that what they would be doing by doing that is basically find, trying to put, find their game of Thrones to separate their signature show from the rest of the, uh, of the rest of their God only knows how many fucking Netflix and Amazon shows there are right now. Mm. So I, what I could see is like in the beginning, like season one of something, you're going to get it all right away. You're going to get the full thing right away. Like you did with the boys. And then somebody is going to review all the, you know, comments on the internet and all the ratings and all the numbers and stuff. And they they think that the show is a hot commodity. Like the boys is, then they're going to go to a week to week format. So that's kind of what I can see. But, and there might even be shows that from the beginning are released week to week, but those ones, those are going to be the ones that had the big stars that whenever they do this wheel of time series yeah. or whatever, that is going to be a week to week thing. You know, the, they're going to, yeah, I was going to say wheel of time, uh, the three body problem, uh, whatever they're going to be calling that. That's the one that Weiss and Benioff are, yeah. are running. I, I yeah. would almost guarantee those will be week to week right away. Yeah. Ma- so, maybe, maybe you get a pilot. That's like, maybe you get a pilot. That's like an hour and a half long, but it's just going to yeah. be one episode. Yeah, of course. So, definitely. So that is how I think they're going to um, separate the herd, separate the winners from the losers. And not saying that the shows that get released via binge 10 episodes at a time are the losers here, right. but they're the signature content, the content that's going to win awards, the content that's going to drive new subscribers. Like there's anybody who doesn't have Netflix right now, but um, there's, that's going to be the stuff that, um, that I think that they try to make a play for like 
you know, Emmy awards, like real, like just trying to create, like not necessarily the next game of Thrones in the sense that it's a medieval dragon and ice queen fuck fest, but in the sense (laughs) that it's a elite show, like something that is going to be remembered. And I'll be honest with you, like out of the bingeable shows that we have seen, even since the premiere of house of cards, are any of these shows even considered are considered elitist? Like not a chance. No, like there's, there's no way that even the best, the best of the Netflix shows, which which might even might be House of Cards or Orange, depending on, on who you talk to. But those shows don't even hold it. The best of those two shows don't even hold a candle to three episodes of Breaking Bad, The Wire in its entirety. Right. Like that kind Mad of Men. So yep. Mad Men. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I, I think that the Handmaid's Tale people, they're right about this format and getting a water cooler talk and trying to build like this grassroots audience type thing. And I honestly don't really see how you're able to build a dedicate, dedicated fan base if people's experiences with your product can be wrapped up in two days. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's just not enough time for you to get to experience the product. There was That was my I, – I, I know I told you this before. I don't know. I think it was off air that I, I, I'm going to end up uh, – that the German show Dark just finished its last season. And I watched the first, I watched the first season in the course of like an entire weekend. And then it didn't come back for like 18 months. I forgot everything that happened in the first season. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't say everything, but I forgot huge chunks of stuff that ha- that is important that happened. So I'm just going to end up rewatching right. the show from season one all the way through now. Because, right. I, I, like, season one's already out of my brain. But you're, but you're right. Like, I still remember things that happened in season one of Entourage. Yep. <laughs> That's bizarre. Dude, I, yeah, I know. I know, man. It is nuts, dude. It's really nuts that uh, that something like that, that that immersion element can be such a critical factor yeah. in how you even remember the television episode way later on down the road. Yep. Yep. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it's <laughs> this. It's almost like they figured this formula out a while ago and it didn't it didn't necessarily need breaking. But, you know, it, it, it works. It works. Episodic TV, episodic week to week television, appointment television it still works. Yep, it still does. That ain't going anywhere, dude. <laughs> it still fucks, man. Um, it still fucks. Yeah. So let's see. I, I uh, what did I pick? Was the Bachman Turner Overdrive song? Uh, that is actually that's the last one I have. Yeah, you yeah. Bet. That's the last one. Go for okay. it. Okay. So this one, taking care of business. Okay. So the last six weeks have been the most eventful, uneventful six weeks of my life, and. Um, the taking care of business element, basically, um, no joke, it is just what Jess and I set out here to do, which is to do stuff in film and everything. Um, we've made, like I said, there's no, I don't even really know if you could ever reach the end of this journey and stuff. You know what I'm saying? I think even if you're in the industry, you're just continuously hustling to get funding and to be in it and stuff like that. For you sure, know, the, yeah. So this this journey, at least for our discussion's sake right now, is like a never-ending journey. But we have made a, some initial steps. And the first step was um, what you saw a couple weeks ago is that stupid little video that we made from uh, Pilot Loams, which is our production company mm-hmm. that we started. So Jess and I started this production company called Pilot Loams. It's named after my cat, which is Soma, Loma, and Loams, and just how the evolution of your pet's nicknames becomes something. Mm-hmm. And then we also... Um, it's from the uh, Frank Ocean song, Pilot Jones. So it's just mm. kind of like a song that I sang to my cat that ended up becoming <laughs> the name of our uh, production company. And we released this little video and stuff. And this is just kind of like our introduction into the world and everything like that. And believe me, there's going to be more content as we, uh, number one, get better at filming and to learn a lot about more about the industry and just kind of 
you know, shape our brand and everything like that. So on top of the one video that is already out there, we are producing a web series with another production company called Toasty Castle Productions, which is a um, it's a series that I wrote. It's called What the Hell Happened in the Writer's Room. And I may have mentioned this before, but um, we're actually getting it off the ground now. And it's going to be shooting in a couple weeks on, so like I said, on a Saturday night in a couple weeks. Nice. And the, sh- the show is basically a um, humorous take on how certain ideas and concepts made it into film and television. And the very, very first episode, the pilot is going to be centered on uh, Batman Returns and how maybe some of the ideas for Batman Returns came about. So Jess is going to be playing um, a character in, in it. Uh, we got a couple other guys that are in it as well. And we have episode two pretty much written, and we're kind of looking at the schematics of kind of uh, or logistics, I should say, of filming episode two. And um, now what I wanted to get into here, also really quick, like I um, I bought the video camera that shoots 4K. I've been learning more about that, learning about lighting and all this stuff. And it's just been like a big time education and stuff. So this way, like we have our own equipment or at least some of our own equipment. So we can kind of start to do things on our own and not necessarily need the super like like the super crew of five or six guys that we're going to be working with to shoot this um, upcoming web series. So we, you know, we're just trying to like learn more about it. And we actually take, took some big steps and Jess got uh, an agent today, which is fantastic news. Like she's going to be starting to work with um, an agent to get her filled into roles, Oh, nice! which Very is a nice. fucking, yeah, fucking amazing opportunity. So, um, I also like uh, one of my one of my scripts received a very, very high reviews in this one competition that I'm in. Don't know if I'm going to win or not. But once again, it's just another like shot of positivity, another step in the right direction. And um, where I originally was going to go with the whole thing, we're doing the dad doing the web series. Okay, so this is what I wanted to tell you about. So we've been learning all kinds of shit about production and how to do this and how to do this legally, because if you get caught filming guerrilla style in L.A., you could actually pay a pretty hefty penalty. So we're Mm -hmm. not trying to go to jail or anything like that. And okay, so for starters, I'm going to tell you outright that the way production costs are in this town, the film industry will be in Georgia no time whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. For everybody out there who's ever wondered about this kind of stuff, for you to be able to film in Los Angeles, it costs 800 bucks to buy a two-week film permit, okay? And that just basically gives you the right to, if you're stopped on the street by the cops, hey, are you guys filming? You give them this piece of paper? That just means you are allowed to be in public or in a location with a camera on a tripod shooting stuff, okay? Now, that doesn't even cover insurance that you have to buy because you have to buy, you have to be insured to get a filming location in case anybody gets hurt on site. And also that doesn't even cover the cost of what it is to rent out some of these locations. Mm -hmm. And and Jess and I have been looking at this website called um, it's gigster and peer space. These are basically like Airbnb for photo shoots and filming locations and do some of this shit's really cool. Like for 400 bucks, you can rent the, bat cave from the dark night for an hour i told her i'd like i I told jess i'm like look if there's any birthday present you're ever going to get me like let's just go ahead there and have dinner for an hour and leave like that's all i want you know (laughs) so and 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 there's a couple other like um there's a couple other sets that have been used before like there's a um one of frank sinatra's houses is on this whole thing you could rent like the entire house for like four or five hundred bucks an hour uh there's a couple of like diner spaces and everything like that that have been used in other in other 
like stuff that you would know. They, they actually say it like in the description, like, hey, this was used in such and such. The Dark Knight one is just by far and away the most important one. Like they, 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 nothing else matters now that I can run <laughs> right. the Batcave. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we've been learning a, a veritable fuck ton about this stuff and trying to, you know, get ready to see what we can do as far as like maybe like getting a, if it comes down to it, like getting a permit and just trying to see like what we're actually able to do financially and stuff, because Jess and I wrote another show, which um, actually requires some like, like there's no way it takes place in like a, like a comedy club. So there's no way we can make our house look like a comedy club, you know, with all the props in the world, just be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we've been looking at that kind of stuff and um, yeah, dude, we've been really like plugging along and, for the last six weeks, I've, I've written a veritable fuck ton of stuff, even between development and actual pages. And hopefully within the next um, probably the next like six weeks or so that you all out there will be able to actually see um, a product that we're that we're going to put out. That's, um, you know, shot with not our phones and actual sound equipment and in our studio second bedroom of our apartment that we're going to use. So uh pretty excited about it and like you know it's like i said it's, it's not none of this stuff means that you know we're hotshot hollywood movie stars actors or producers but what it does mean is that we're out here doing what we came out here to do and if you're doing that you always have a shot at least because the whole thing is a giant fucking lottery it, it this is a, i mean first off really excited for you guys that sounds fucking awesome like you like you said you just have to keep trying to do it like you, and we've we talked about this before. You like until you stop, you're you're in the game at least. Until you literally yeah. just stop yourself, you're in the game at least. And you guys exactly. are taking those steps, to, those like beyond hoping for things or beyond. I shouldn't say hoping for things, but beyond like the amateur kind of stuff. You guys are taking the necessary steps to to at least get your foot in the door with everyone else. Um, right. So like excited excited for you guys in that, and congratulations on that. That sounds awesome. Thank um, you very much. Yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> But you, you bring up a good point. Not only Georgia, this is why sci-fi films, all their movies in Canada, and all their TV shows in Canada, even though they're based in New York City, because <laughs> filming any of this in New York would cost them a fortune. Um, yeah. That's, that's why, that's why, that's why um, um, all of Steven Seagal's directed video movies are all filmed in, like, fucking Balkan states, because they cost <laughs> right. zero money to film there. Um, yeah. There, there's... There's a reason why, like, like Georgia, you're dude, dead on Georgia with its massive tax credits. Um, I don't know if Texas still has the same tax credits it used to have. Um, that's why various things get filmed there. It's just, it's almost like, it is basically a criminal enterprise that's running mm -hmm. the entertainment, that, that portion of the entertainment business in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, dude, like, it is a fucking, it is a racket like you would not believe. And uh, I got to tell you this, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but like, you know, like how when you, um in, in Ohio, when you go get your driver's license renewed for the longest time, and it could still be like this, it's maybe a little bit more expensive, but it was like 48 to like $58. Like when I first did it, it was like mm -hmm. 48 bucks. Then the last time I renewed my license in 2018, it was uh, 2019, I should say it was like 58 bucks, mm -hmm. a big increase of $10 in fucking California. That same thing, that same sticker that you put on your car is $186. The same oh, fucking car, the, but in um, a different state. In, in Colorado, I, and I think it's because of, of property tax issues. Like, they don't collect as much on property taxes. It costs, like, $800 mm -hmm. for you your, your driver's license your plates. Dude, it's disgusting. Like, yeah. that is that is absurd. <laughs> like, man, like, goddamn. But, like, I was, I was, like, literally, like, I almost, like, shit myself when I saw it was 200 bucks to renew my plates. And I... 
since we've been out here, I don't know a lot of details about stuff, but I've been aware of like certain kind of regulations and government policies and all that stuff that are out here. And now I will tell you that some of these regulations are definitely needed. Okay. Because when you have a state this big and all these people out here, there's always going to be somebody looking to take advantage of the system. So you need some form of regulations, but my God, man, like what we have learned in the last like two weeks about just assembling a film shoot here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It is, it is epic. It is fucking epic, dude. So I'm telling you, at some point in time, now whether it, whether 2020 and no money coming into the box office is the catalyst year that actually makes everybody wake up, but my personal opinion is is that in a very short period of time, we're talking maybe 15, 20 years, like before, like maybe like around like when we turned like 50 when we're early, in our earlier 50s, Hollywood will just become like it'll just be almost like something like where that's where everybody's offices are, you know, like mm-hmm. they minimal stuff is shot there. Like maybe they shoot Dr. Phil there and some of the daytime talk shows. But if we're talking like legit programming that requires like money to be made, that is going to be going to other States. Like you would not, they'll do like, there's probably people waiting for Wyoming to pass a film tax credit right right now. Oh, for so sure. yeah. I mean, and like, I, I think I'm thinking I could be wrong on this, but like, with just the way that the the economy is, with the way that the state of the industry is, knowing that there is, it is definitely more economical for places to go otherwise. Like, I, I would be safely assuming that it is more cost efficient for you to take the three or four stars of your show, put them up in a hotel room for two months, and two months in like Vancouver, use Vancouver or whatever as your shooting location, and pack it up than it would be to shoot the same amount of time in LA. And that's where the stars driving from their house to the studio every single day. Yeah. So it's um, economics and everything are definitely a interesting part of this industry. <laughs> and I'm going to be learning a lot more about it. So throughout the course of the, the episodes that we record, I'll be guaranteeing you be telling you a shit ton of horror stories, but uh, that is, that is definitely the one man. So get ready because like in, like I said, 20 years or so, it could be Atlanta is the new Hollywood. You'll be seeing a big sign on this, like the mountains of Georgia that says Atlanta wood or whatever. <laughs> oh, they call, uh, Georgia is Yollywood. Yollywood. <laughs> yeah. They call it Yollywood. That's amazing. Which I love. That's... I actually do love that quite a bit, but yeah, no, it's, it, I, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, I'm like half the TV shows you watch are probably filmed in Canada. Cause it yeah. costs, cause it's, it's more cost effective to fly whomever to Canada then you're right. Mm-hmm. They just have them film in a studio in their backyard. Yeah. Like, dude, those states give you money to come shoot there. They give you tax incentives to come mm-hmm. shoot there. In California, you are paying the man mm-hmm. to use your fucking block to shoot a two-second scene. Exactly. Like, come on, man. Come on. It's, ridic- it's ridiculous. But regardless, yeah, yeah actually, that's, that, that is the kind of stuff I'm, I'm like, most looking forward to with your, with your venture. To, like, hear some of the – just the – you know, obviously everyone loves the, the final product, the, the, you know, the final entertainment product, but I'm one of those people that I'm so interested in the process to get there, Yeah, how hard it is to actually get there. Oh, believe me, bro. Like I, I will, whenever we get the show, I'll, I'm going to dedicate like a five good minutes section of another episode or whatever to talk about this shoot. I guarantee you there'll be stuff to sell. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, no, it sounds, it sounds fun though. I'm sure you guys are going to, regardless what happens, I'm sure it's going to be in its own way. Even if it's frustrating, it's going to be fun. Oh yeah, dude, believe me, if I'm involved, there's nowhere near, it's not going to be an, there's no way in hell it's not going to be an experience. Let me put it to you that way. (laughs) All right. So, so for you, 
Um, the last one is the once in a lifetime category. Lay it on me, dude. What's yeah, the this once is in once in a lifetime. The Talking Heads, uh, classic, classic rock song. Uh, amazing song. Amazing song. This I'm going to end on a very nerdy note here. Um, you you are familiar with Y2K, the Y2K problem, correct? The the whole thing with resetting the zeros and all from yeah. like 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, Definitely. that on uh, basically that on uh, on the year 2000, that um, because the the digits. The way the the way the computers code time, uh, or I should say, code years and times and months and everything else, it's based on a two digit two digit integer, and um, once you get beyond the, the 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 thought was, and this did turn out to be true. Um, this I'll, I'll get into this, but once the once the computers turn over to double zeros, a lot of computer systems did think that it was not necessarily that it was like nineteen hundred. They just didn't know how to handle a double zero date. Um, and it, it gets, it's so funny because people now talk of like, oh, remember why two nothing happened? Well, nothing happened because companies spent over $50 billion in the years leading up to it to make sure that nothing happened and things still happened. Um, there are still computer systems that went down. There were still, um, the, the financial sector was the one who was really far ahead of it. Um, even, even as early as the late 1980s doing computer tests on dates and things to figure out if something like that could happen. And it, it was a giant, one of the, one of the big financial firms in Europe actually is the first company from like 1989 or 1990 to sort of ring the alarm bell about what's going to happen in the next 10 years. And they spent a fuck. Cause like they, they had, they have like these mega clients that have hundreds of millions of dollars essentially entrusted to them. And when they were doing computer date tests, once they hit, you know, January 1st, 2000, all of these, all their clients' money disappeared, um, mm -hmm. which would be a really big problem if you and I had like $300 million shoved somewhere and it just disappeared. Um, I'd be a little bit upset about that. Um, well, I would too. So, so the financial system, the financial sector has been like way ahead of this kind of stuff um, from the get go. Um, but there's always this idea that nothing happened in Y2K. It's because a lot of people spent a lot of war, a lot of years making sure that nothing happened. However, we are coming up on another Y2K. It's called Y2K38. In 2038, we are going to come to the end of Epoch time, or Unix time. And what that means is that basically every computer system in the world, even your laptops, your phones, um, everything, has sort of a built-in birth date. And that birth date is January 1st, 1970. That's every single computer system is counting up from every second, it's January 1st, 1970, you know, zero hours, zero minutes, one second, basically, is where it's counting up from. Um, and all of these computer systems are on a 32-bit counter, basically. Uh, there's, It's a little bit more complex than that, but all of these systems are on 32-bit integer counters, um, which gives you approximately, uh, so let's see, how long is that? Uh, approximately 68 years um, worth of time counting, which... Obviously, at the, t at the when you when you kind of decide to count that way, it seems like a lot of time. Sixty-eight years is a lot of seconds, right? Um, right. But it does have an endpoint. So once this endpoint is met by computer systems throughout the world, it, it's it'll operate a little bit differently from Y two K. The problem is that the sixty-two the thirty-two bit uh, integer will kind of now store as a negative number once we get to um, I forgot the exact date for 2038 but i think it's i think it's i think it is january 1st 2038 um but once we get to that date 
all these computer systems will start storing it as a negative number. And it'll all all the computer systems that still work on the, with this 32-bit integer will think that the date is December 13th, 1901. Um, which, okay, what does that mean? Obviously, the financial systems will now think that if you open up a bank account in 2001, it'll disappear because it's 1901 to the computer. Um, right. There are systems that are in our cars that have, that are new systems. Um, anti-lock -like -like braking systems, stability and traction control systems, auto four-wheel drive, your GPS. None of these will work in 2038 if, if this problem isn't corrected or potentially won't work. Some things probably will, some things probably won't. Um, GPS still has GPS has its own issues because they're on a much shorter clock than a lot of other mm -hmm. things. But there's a possibility that even with even with fully fully deploying certain fixture uh, fix, uh, fixes and measures, that entire websites entire website systems like Amazon Web Services might go down, which is sixty percent of the internet. Um, your Mac computers might not work. Almost every single cell phone is running on the same thirty two bit integer. Um, and most, and probably most, most scary of this, every single aircraft is running on this, on this uh, epoch time or Unix time. Um, the the reality is we have eighteen years until this even becomes a problem. Well, I shouldn't say until it becomes a problem. Eighteen years until it's at critical mass and there's nothing we can do. Um, the problem is, again, this was ten years. This is about like a decade leading up to the Y two K problem. Cost companies fifty billion dollars to fix that. How much is it going to cost to fix this problem? Whew. It's probably going to cost a lot more than $50 billion <laughs> in a time where money is not necessarily as free-flowing as it well, was in the cocaine-induced 1980s. So but, like... and, and, but, I mean, think about that, but also think about the, the vast amount more of products that we have that we didn't have in 1990. No, oh my God, dude. And everything is linked everything. to technology and stuff. Like, I have a freaking, I have like a, a smartwatch pedometer thing on me. You know, this thing was like 30 bucks and it connects to my phone and stuff like that. And it's holy shit. And there's just way, there's way more technology even on the market than there was right. back then. Like now, it, we're talking in the nineties, there's like what one computer per every 10 household or something like right. that. Now there's five computers in a house. Right. Exactly. Now a lot of, a lot of systems have, like your personal computer probably wouldn't like be like it wouldn't like become a brick like it wouldn't become unusable but the operating system might need to be like replenished and replaced um really like personal systems for the most part they're not too worried about that but like they are worried that like how much is it going to cost to fix this problem for the you know for banking for um you know for finances for government work for whatever like that's like the real that's like the real issue that they're worried about but there is they do hope that by switching everything to a 64-bit integer, that'll give us... And it, everyone... It, it was funny, because like, I know a lot of people think that just means it doubles. It doesn't. These are by exponents. So it's like a 32... Like, a 32-bit integer is is 1 to the 32nd power, or 2 to the 32nd power. Um, so this yeah. would be 2 to the 64th power, which gotcha. will give us until the year... I had the year written down somewhere, but I think it's like the year, like, 18 quintillion. Okay. Before we have okay, to think so, about updating our computer systems again. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So, number one, I did not know about any of that stuff, and that is incredibly interesting to me. Um, I checked my zipper during um, during your um, during your speech and everything, and there was not a twenty thirty eight on it. So I think we might be okay. Good to go. But um, yeah. But dude, like uh, shitty joke. Anyway, um, um <laughs> like the. Uh, <laughs> 
I did not know about that. And the, I didn't even know about the fact that it cost in the $50 billion to prepare for Y2K. I, I, I seriously thought it was just a right. matter of sending a guy down to a room and making a couple clicks, but that's definitely not the case here. And we are now like, I do have all faith in the world that humanity will solve this one. Let's fingers crossed anyway. But, uh, Dude, that is just like that is insanely interesting on so many levels because I didn't know that there was this lifespan or whatever. I had no idea that this whole thing even existed. And the fact that there there's a countdown that we're going to see within our lifetimes, you know, knock on wood, um, (laughs) is is just it's it's nuts. And like I remember the Y2K thing. um, It was one of these deals where. I think like it kind of like came in like a lion and out like a lamb kind of thing. Like once you, when you first heard about it, it was like, Oh shit. And then very, very soon thereafter, I think it was kind of like one of these, like, okay, well maybe it's not that, you know, like people were really quick to like put out those flames in in my mind and stuff like that. Like I remember not being super worried about Y2K, like on that new year's Eve, I've been more worried about other stuff on other new year's Eve's like, but uh, that one, I don't remember being too focused on Y2K. And now obviously I know the reason why it's because these people put all this kind of money and everything into it. But what they're looking, I mean, even just on a consumer level, like what that year 2038 might be the biggest year in computer retail sales that we ever see. Cause that's just like, I mean, that's going to be a lot, that's just like a lot of money for people to just kind of randomly come up with. If your technology is set to expire, you know, in a couple of years time, if it, if it gets to that and stuff. So that's a really interesting thing. That's a it's so much, there's so much to that. It's like, I had no idea about any of this. And stuff. it's, and it's sort of, and it's one of those things that like they're, it's it's a it's a war that people don't care about, even though right. it literally could cripple our entire planet because we are so dependent. You know, as the years go on, we're just more and more dependent on these little pieces of technology that we carry around with us and we sit right. in front of and we use every single day. Like and like that, like our cars that our cars are using every single day, that our planes are using every single day, that are you know like there there were there were actual Y two K problems. Um, the, a lot of restaurants had their uh, their POS their point of sale systems. Um, mm-hmm. go down for weeks after Y2K. Um, and they, they, that was it. Like they, they were, they were no longer viable, um, post Y2K. There were banks that lost, um, that lost people's entire bank accounts for weeks at a time. Um, yeah. there, and there were actually, there were Y2K things. I remember reading this is interesting. There are Y2K issues that popped up five years later that were related to the, the changing from 1999 to 2000 that popped up in 2005. Holy shit! Like, what kind of stuff was it that popped up? That, S- similar that, like, stuff, like similar stuff, like um, like certain pieces of hardware that were certain pieces of software that were coded prior to 1999 or prior to okay. 2000 in, in certain systems, like stuff like restaurants, um, older um, older cash registers and things. Like, yeah, they just like they wouldn't work anymore. Okay, like some of the, like the slipping through the cracks type yep. stuff that yep. I, I understand. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Wow, that's. That is just like insanely interesting, dude. Like I, I, cause I remember that whole, I just remember that whole thing and every, it almost seemed like this, like, you know, like, Oh God, we, we, everybody got in a big fucking tizzy about that. But it turns out that there was actual real substance and real things that took place. And if, 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 if had nothing, if nothing had been done, not that anybody would have just sat there and said, yeah, don't worry about it. But basically, or I should say this, if all the, all the fixes that they put in, in place for, especially like for the financial sector, that would have wreaked havoc for months and months and months and months before they got something figured out. I mean, could you imagine like if, 
I don't know, whoever, whatever, you know, whatever banking system that, like, I don't know, let's say, like, Walmart works with, if it lost all of Walmart's money, <laughs> like, what would they do? Yeah. yeah, that's a really good fucking point, dude. Like, uh, I don't, I don't even know how you recover that because if you're ta- so like when when I get identity thefted, which happens like once every like six months or so, just happens <laughs> right. to me. It, it's a really easy fix for the bank to just, you know, th- they catch it early enough, they cancel the card, they give me the fifty or sixty bucks or whatever the other person spent, and then that's it. But if you're talking Walmart, which is one of the largest corporations in the United States, it's not necessarily like the fraud department is just going to cut Walmart a check for Here's a check for forty billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Here you guys go. You know, like it, it just. I mean, you could be looking. I mean, dude, people, like, people, you'd have, you'd have, you would have like in in an instant, tens of thousands of employees not getting paid, tens of thousands of vendors not getting paid. Um, right. Obviously, the upper management having no like, what do you do? There's no money. It can't just like material like because it's literally gone. Right. And it's it's not like the olden days where like there's a vault, there's a vault of, that's owned by Walmart. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it just raises all these kind of like, like questions and concerns about this, you know, like kind of digital economy we live in where even money is like, I mean, like, you know, I have a bank account, you have a bank account and stuff like that. But it's not like you going in, it's not going into the bank and there's a drawer full of money. Like right. your money in theory exists it's, on an app on it, your exactly. phone. Exactly. It's, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of zeros and ones until i request that they give it to me that's right yeah ex- that's exactly right yes you bet so with something like something on a magnitude of walmart like i mean that that's like a that is a massive crisis right there i mean you got to think about even the payments that they had in motion that maybe wouldn't that would be, that would have bounced yep. checks and stuff like I, you you'd be looking at a corporate crisis of immense proportions right and like and I, then, I, right and then multiply that across like 100 companies worldwide yeah i like yeah i mean the, the the thought of that like i mean even the thought of how to manage a crisis like that that's almost like beyond my scope of comprehension like i couldn't even tell you the first phone call to make you know like what are you gonna call the bank like hey guys it's lost 600 billion dollars like I, you know it's that is something that like that is like a crisis of which that is all just like unfathomable for somebody of my intellect i guess <laughs> well i mean that's i mean seriously though that's like why that's why few people work in this sort of field you know, like there's, mm-hmm. there's not, you know, there's not many people working in essentially like shoring up, you know, shoring up the banking system um, in right. general. I mean, it's already in general, there's not a lot of people working in it. And then like people working on the very techie, dirty side of it, there's even fewer people. Um, but the good news is, like I said, there's um, more than likely it's one of those problems that'll be fixed. It probably won't be like, I wouldn't count on your car in 2038 just shutting itself down. But in theory, right. it could happen. Um, could happen in theory, but there, the good thing is like, we're, there are some other dates that are upcoming, but they're not really for like widespread consumer products or things like banking systems or like, you know, like the flight control systems or whatever. Um, but there, there is going to be an interesting date. We'll be long gone by this time in the year 2100. They think there's going to be an issue, um, the, the end of the century, uh, because 2100 is not a leap year. Oh, a lot of people think that like leap years are just every four years and for the most part they are, but like there's other rules to them. So 2100 is not a leap year and they're not sure how they don't have like any like real exact idea how that's going to affect computer systems in 2100. That is really interesting too. It's, uh, it's almost like, man, it's just, there's something out there. It's just always some little obstacle to overcome and everything like that. And I, I didn't even know, I honestly thought that every four years was a leap year. I thought that, you know, cause the earth does 
like one year point two five like right. laps around the sun. Like I, I guess I thought it was such such a cut and dry thing. I didn't know that there were all these like kind of rules and it, it, uh, there's, criteria. There's for like it. division. There's like division rules to it. So like you can't divide twenty one hundred by four hundred. So it's not a um. So it's not a leap year. Oh, or by okay. four. I got like four or four okay. for that matter. But so it's not a I, it's not a leap year. I got you. But if you were to multiply twenty five four times it would i understand what you're saying yeah like in theory that year is scheduled out of 25 that is the 25th leap year out of the century or something like that Te- technically i guess right right i don't know if there's there's a yeah there it's that, again that's actually getting into some territory that like is even like farther above my head um and then, like, <laughs> uh, there's a huge one but again we'll be also be very gone in the year 10,000 um since we still only keep since we still only keep two digits as a uh, as a year marker, what's going to happen when there's three digits at the, at the at the back end of the year? Oh man, yeah, that's another good point. <laughs> well, probably then we'll all be dead, so it doesn't really matter. We'll, yeah. we'll have nuked ourselves off the planet. Yeah, I'm thinking like we may not even get to uh, we may not even get to the one that's 18 years from now, knowing the way our world <laughs> that's is. A good point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Anyway. So everybody, just just give up now. Yeah, exactly. No, but anyway, I just thought that was, uh, I was actually kind of hoping you'd have gotten to that one first, because I didn't want to end on a too, too, too nerdy a topic, but whatever, it's no big deal. I thought that that was very, very interesting, dude. That is, that, that is nerdy in all the right ways. I mean, but it's just, it's just funny, like, again, we're very dependent, as, as this pandemic has, has shown us, we're very dependent on a lot of, on a lot of things just kind of working right for us all the time. Otherwise, right. we, we don't function very well. Oh, dude, the internet goes out around here. Phooey, that's yep. not a good time to be in our house. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it, it's happened to me recently where I've like lost internet for an hour. I can't work. I yeah. just I oh, sit yeah. here and I'm like, so what do I do? What do I do now? It's like, should I start doing something? Like, my computer might be working any minute now. Right. Like, do exactly. I really want to invest in doing this or the? Yeah, I, dude, I, I know what you're talking about. Before we moved into the new place, I was having all kinds of technological issues working from home and stuff. I mean, it was all stuff that like just happen with the, our servers in the office just being used and used and used just all kinds of slow ups and connection issues and stuff. And I was going crazy. You get in like a flow, you get some work done, you're starting to knock out like your uh, requests and your work and stuff. And then flat, there's just, it's just like having all the wind sucked out of your sails. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're, I almost didn't even know what to do. Like, I'm just like walking around the house aimlessly, like, okay, I think the internet will start working again. But, and then an hour later goes by and it's like, shit, dude, I'm still here. Yeah, exactly. It, it Again, we are just so very dependent upon, and there's nothing wrong with that, but just society, as, a, as a society, as a global society, we are so dependent on things that we don't even know how the fuck they work. Yeah, and believe me, if all that technology goes out, I mean, we're it'll be it'll be three weeks, if that, before we are at Thunderdome, dude. Like, it's <laughs> there'll be people going insane. We won't even be last a month. Oh, uh, exactly, dude. There, there's there's people that are ready for it. So, you know. oh yeah, I saw them in the desert this weekend. Believe right. me, they would. Oh, I did. I bet some of those people in the desert wouldn't notice though. Oh God, dude! There are a couple of these places that we saw, like people actually living in, like cars and everything. I'm like. Where the fuck? What do these people do all day? Like you're not getting cable out here. There's no power lines coming to your trailer. Nope. Like, well, what the hell are you doing? Drugs. It'll be like those people. Those yeah. Oh yeah, all the meth in the world. It'll be like those people in Japan who like found out like five years ago that they dropped a nuclear bomb <laughs> right. on, on them, right. or that the to- Tokyo is now like one of the major cities in the world. Right. <laughs> all right. Oh yeah. All right. So I think we're are, are we're done here. Correct. 
yeah, we got through all the all the the, the five good uh, five good topics for sure. Yeah, that was, this was a, this is definitely a fun uh, a fun return get, uh, getting back into the groove of things. Oh yeah, we definitely got to bring this format back. Like we got to do this more often because this is really cool. Just like there's so much shit going on in the world today, and like even just like what we experienced in six weeks, you know, this would be definitely something to bring back all the way. Yeah, absolutely for sure. All right, uh, I don't have anything else. Chuma, you wanna you wanna lead us out of here? I will definitely do that. And everybody out there, thank you very much for tuning into the big comeback episode for the Occasionalist Podcast as we begin the unofficial season six. This is Adam. <laughs> yeah. I'm, gonna a, I'm gonna put a big question mark next to six. <laughs> yeah, season six question mark. Maybe? That actually know. would look really that would look cool on a fucking poster. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this is Adam Chimaluski and Matthew Pagel from the Occasionalists. We are wishing you the best, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much.